this is Zoe Thorogood, creator of It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Sounds a little bit excited. Do you know something that I don't know? I don't know nothing. I, I just pulled out my bucket list uh-huh. and I got that big old thick ass dick size Sharpie and I went yeah. and crossed the off one of the things. Tip. Yep. Yep. Crossed it off. You don't have to stop talking. You can just not talk about that. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> Jeebus. Good old Tony. Hey everybody, you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 876, and I am an incredibly blessed Vince B. You are. I am a... (laughs) I can... I'm pinching myself. I can't believe what just happened, David A. Price. Well, I like that. I like him. And, oh, and, and yeah, and because actually, that's yes. <laughs> that silence. That was that's true. Yeah, because uh, somebody is. It's it's a weird episode, folks. You are going to hear from Jason, just not right this second. But we do have somebody who's going to say hi to you. Hey, everybody! It's me, Tony Fleece. Also humbled to be here. Also, uh, just a student, you know, sitting at the feet of the master today. For yes. real. And if you haven't noticed already, Tony sounds a hell of a lot better. <laughs> Please, baby. I'm committed now. I'm going to be sitting in this poor chair. You know who doesn't have a hard wire? Tana Ford. <laughs> you don't know that. Whoa. Are you throwing the gauntlet down? I'm throwing it down. You know she's on Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'm the tester. And, and you can fire up your Wi-Fi and go to CheapGraphicNovels.com. That's CheapGraphicNovels.com. It's all in the name. You can get omnibus, trade editions, manga for a fraction of their cover price. Go on over there and look for books by Howard Chaikin because they have Satellite Sam Omnibus for $31.49. That's 30% off the retail price. They also have Black Kiss 2 for $10.49 and Power and Glory for $13.49. Both of those are 30% off. They have Hey Kids comics like all the Chaikin stuff at a fraction of the cover price. So go to CheapGraphicNovels.com and save. And after you're done with your first order, reply to the email confirmation and tell them that 11 o'clock comics sent you and you will receive free shipping on your next order. It is an incredible deal. You're welcome. Uh, Just go take advantage of it. CheapGraphicNovels.com You know what? They also have at CheapGraphicNovels.com right now because I saw Max uh, last weekend and I handed him a case of Time Shoppers. So uh, CheapGraphicNovels.com, one of the few places online right now, along with like my website and Stuart Ng, but one of the most discounted places online right now where you can get Time Shopper uh, because I handed them off personally. So if you uh, have listened to me on this show and you're like, that guy's all right, let me... We'll see about his least popular book. Oh, so this is. <laughs> oh wait, is I, you, very... I, I thought you you were thinking that Max was all right because Max is more than all right with me. Well, no, Max, Max, is, Max is beyond all right. Yeah, well, he sent me a. Uh, we were we were talking through email about business stuff, and he's like, "Oh, not for nothing, but I've been dabbling in the vinyl kaiju myself. Here's a shot of my Hedora collection." And I'm like, "Motherfucker!" He has some pieces in there that if I lived near him, he wouldn't have them anymore. 
He's a real collector. He, he is. art on collections. He gets into stuff. He's like, what do you think of these? I was like, my dude, they are <laughs> awesome. He likes to – there's some glitter vinyl in the collection. I'm not a fan of glitter vinyl, and I'm also not a fan of clear. Uh, sure. But the, the, the end mass, his Hedorah collection is wonderful. Hmm. Yes. Well, I hope so, Max enjoys this. Well, well, well. Tony's little uh, little plug there was was pretty timely and 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 topical. Uh, I sent Tony a text earlier today, and on the days my wife and I drive into the office um, after the commute, before we head to our offices, our separate offices, we decompress a little bit and we'll scroll through some TikToks. And one of the videos that came up today was a very touching and poignant clip of a creator um, basically pitching us his little Time Shopper comic book. And uh, as we're watching it, and and Renee recognizes the name, and she's like, this, this, this sounds familiar. And, and Tony mentions that, uh, you know, he's also the writer of Stray Dogs. She's like... Oh, he wrote Stray Dogs. Like that, like that little, oh, it's him. But then as he's describing Time Shopper, she's sitting here cracking up at 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 the description and at the characters and how my man meets Tupac. And she's just like, oh, I'd read this. So I have to hit up Max now and, and order a copy of Time Shopper. Because I aren't... failed to back it when I, no, I, I, I checked my Kickstarter activity from way back when and i said and that was my text to tony he's like I, I i was like i could have sworn i backed that damn thing but i guess not so tony for making life comics people know this about me uh i haven't heard this about time shopper before but if this turns out to be also a life comic i'm gonna be very happy to hear that i'm i'm very excited to see how this goes okay so now you know tony who really loves you because i have a copy of time shopper you got it on the kickstarter that's all right. I know you all love me, and I appreciate the support and love. You guys had me on here to talk about Time Shopper probably three times. Yes. You did way more than enough on that book. Very appreciated. It was enjoyable, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, what are we drinking, speaking of enjoying? Oh, man. What are you drinking, Vince? I'm just drinking Blackberry Lemonade. The what are you drinking, Tony? Water. I didn't have, uh, I didn't go out and buy anything, so I had the last two beers in my fridge. I had a, a Modelo Especial, like a giant can of it. Wow, that's good shit. And then that was while we were talking to Chaken, and then now I'm having a, a Tecate. Uh, okay. I can't even remember when I bought this, but there, it's, it tastes fine, so it must be you know within the past year. Fancy. Uh, I was um, enjoying a very, very good. Um, gin and tonic uh, while we were talking with with Howard. And now that this is gone, I'm going back to um, my big-ass jug of water. Nice, nice. Well, you're, you've been waiting for it patiently as we ramble through that, and, and here it is. Here is our discussion with the legendary... I think that's a fair sex assessment, right? Yes. yes legend. Yes, yes. Legend. He 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 has an ego, as he said during the interview, and I'm just gonna give that ego a big old bear hug. The legendary Howard Chicken.
This man doesn't need an introduction. If you've been reading comics for any amount of time, you have inevitably encountered his work, and it all is amazing. Legendary creator Howard Chaikin is with us this week. Welcome, sir. Let, 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 let's all calm down right now, okay? <laughs> let's not get excited. And and again, the the very fact that I, I have to, you know, take 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 issue with what you said, because uh, much of my work sucked. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I unfortunately went went to public school with ten, the first ten years of my career, and um, so the world the world has seen me go from being an inept and untrained amateur to a working professional, and and frankly has never forgiven me for it. So I'm willing to live with that. There's a lot of wiggle room. <laughs> And, and you, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got so fat recently that wiggle is just something that the I, word wiggle just says, you know, says horrible things to me. It's, it's I just, think you, know, you look very good, but uh, no, I'm an unmade bed. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> for those of you playing at home, Howard is here to tell us about his forthcoming book, um, his first foray into crowdfunding on Zoop. It's called John Benteen's Fargo Hell on Wheels. And I'm here to, I mean, basically the, the history of this project, it's a, it's harking back to a, a big interest of my stuff from the 60s. And oddly enough, um, I was unaware of this particular work at that point. I mean, I was a great, I was a real consumer of paperback originals back then. Um, and this was a 20 book series that was around in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, when there was still public transportation and people took, took, took buses and trains to get to jobs. And these books were made to be read in, a, a, say, four days of, of, of subway riding or two long bus trips. They are um, compact, tight, and specifically, Neil Fargo, the hero of the novels, is a loosely based on the character that uh, Lee Marvin played in Richard Brooks' brilliant film, The, the Professionals. And what, what the John Benteen did was to create a backstory and a career for this guy, give him a new name, and build this character. And in, in, in its most its simplest terms, Neil Fargo is Conan. If Conan had, ri- had rode with, with Pike, Pike Bishop and Dutch and the Gorsh brothers and the Wild Bunch in 1910. Um, he's a, a roustabout, cir- circus performer, boxer, bouncer at brothel, soldier of fortune, ran up San Juan Hill with, with Teddy Roosevelt, and um, it's just an, a guy who constantly finds himself in trouble and gets out of it. Uh, he's that, that, that great traditional all, all ball-busting American hero, a 19th century man, loose and on the loose in the early 20th century. Uh, the novels were sold as Westerns in their original format, and there's a Western tinge to the material, but they have as much in common with Alistair, uh, Alistair McLean as they do with Louis L'Amour. And... Um, they're a gas. I mean, I'm, I'm, when, when, when you called, I had just finished my work day where I was doing a, a copy edit on my first dialogue pass. The book is now written and, um, I'm working on the art. That's what's happening. I'm, I'm just, I'm a cockeyed optimist. I'm just assuming and going forward as if it's going to happen, whether it happens or not. That, that's the only way I can function. It looks like it's, it's going to happen. It's, it's available on Zoop. You, you, you can, obviously pre-order it uh, we'll we will definitely have the links for everything in our show notes when the episode's posted in a few hours uh, 
it's it's uh, as of, as of we're talking right now, twenty two days left. So you got a couple weeks, uh, and and I know that you were pretty much not keen on crowdfunding. So so no. what um, what what caused you to change your mind and 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 go with Zoop or at least this particular project with with Fargo? Um, an, an attenuated moment of weakness. Um, I. The guy brought me in on this project, a guy named Mike Stratford. Mike's a really good friend. He's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I count my friends on, on only a couple of hands. And Mike is someone that, you know, I, he's some of nice calls I always take. And Mike, brought, Mike, Mike introduced me to this material. He's a guy, we were introduced by Mike Kaluta many, many years ago. For those of you who don't know who Michael Kaluta is, shame on you. Big shame. And, yeah. Yes. Um, and and my, Mike and I have extraordinarily similar tastes. I mean, I've turned him on to stuff. He turned me on to see. I'm, I'm the guy who introduced him to Lee Childs, for example. That, that should give you an idea how long I've known this cat. Um, and he was the one who showed me this material. And, and he said, let's do it. And, I, and it was kind of like, I'll believe if you believe. I'll go with you. And that, that's where it's at. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm paranoid. And, and I mean, 20 minutes ago, I was on the phone with my editor who suggested that I go on Facebook and make a blunt statement that any one of my Facebook friends who does not sign on for this is dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, there's, there's, um, I, I there's obviously, <laughs> we've got, we've got, we've got contributions, um, by Gary Frank, Mahmoud Asrar, who we just saw last weekend at, at New York, Dennis Cohen, uh, Eduardo Riso. I mean, it's, I mean, Eduardo Riso for Christ's sake, right? Yes. You know? Eduardo this said is... no, and then all of a sudden the artwork turns and says, holy shit, Eduardo. <laughs> uh, and Mahmoud, Mahmoud is one of the stand-uppiest cats ever. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. Oh, oh. Yeah. Mahmoud was a, was a member of the last seminar that I did at Marvel back in 14, I think it was. And um, it was one of those groups where I mean, they, they, they would dump five guys on me, Marvel would do this, um, who they felt were not living up to their responsibilities to their contract for whatever reason. And, and my job was to beat the shit out of them for three days. And Mahmoud was along with the butt with four other cats who were not in that category. I don't know. I don't know what the hell Marvel was. I mean, they were, they were, they were, they, 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 were they didn't need anything I had to say. So we all, we did a road trip. We, we, we did a, a we, we, we said, listen, here, you've got an assignment. Do the assignment tonight. Let's piss off the afternoon and take a walk. We'll just get out of, out of, out of the office. So we did. And I brought them all the illustration stations across New York City. Mahmoud, uh, Vittorio Sleeney, Vittorio Schietti, rather, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, Will Sliney, uh, uh-huh. and a couple of us. Um, and I, I brought them to the Eastern Airlines mural at, at the number eight Rockefeller Plaza. I took them to the, 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 the Warwick Hotel, which used to be the Raleigh Hotel to show them the Dean Cornwall murals, the, the Maxfield Parish painting of the King Cole Bar at the St. Regis. And ultimately, up to the Society of Illustrators, where Richard Geisman was there, and he took us all upstairs into the stacks, and he was pulling paintings out that hadn't seen the light of day in 25 years. He was showing them, you know, Lyondeckers, Rockwells, Fawcett's, Parker. It's just, uh, you know, an astonishing collection. Jesus. And um, so I was really grateful my mood was able to kind of make because he's just, he's just doing some great shit. He's just great. And he keeps continually yeah. getting better and better. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what? stop. Cut that shit How out. dare you? Yeah. <laughs> How, exact, you know, we are we are brothers here. How dare he indeed? Enough of this. Cut it out. 
you know, I'm, I'm up to here with you. I'm, I'm making the gesture of the cutting my, my throat with my hands. Right? Right. Yeah, I'm up to here with you. You know, it's like your mom. You know, you Speaking of brothers, um, I'm assuming that uh, Ken Bruzenak is going to be doing the uh, lettering on the uh, forthcoming oh, yeah. nice. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he did, he did the logo. You know, that, that's Ken's logo. And, um, and you know, Bruzenak, Bruzenak are, are, and I are co-pains in the ass. You know, we've known each other. I've known Ken since 71. We've wow. worked together since 82. Yeah, well, well he was he was Taranko's boy. I was Neil's. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we hated each other the minute we met. Like, get the fuck out of here. With you. And when I was looking for, for, I was looking for a letter on Flag, uh, Joe Duffy recommended him. He'd apparently been up to the office looking for work. And... And I, I, I took a look at his book. I said, yeah, I mean, let's, let's do this. And what I got back from him, the, the, the dynamic of my relationship with Ken is I will always get more from him than I expect. It will, it will 99% of the time it will be perfect. That 1% it will be completely out of left field and no. And, and, and the, the second draft is perfect. But Ken is a perfect example of a guy whose entire career is based on having worked with me on Flag and then Times Square. And he gets hired by people who don't have the smarts, wherewithal, or instincts to get him to do for them what he does for me. And that's one of the reasons why we continue to work together after, you know, going on 50 years now. Um, because I let Ken be Ken. And, you know, he gets to try shit. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it often, I mean, anecdotally, just I'm, I'm diverging, I'm, I'm digressing, deal with me. Uh, when I did, when I wrote the script of the divided states of hysteria, I indicated that I wanted some sort of graphic representation of what was then an, an, a, a, a current term, a, ter- a, a phrase that was running around the internet called internet chatter, which was supposed to mean that, you know, we were, we, they, they were listening in to terrorism. Okay. What I was expecting was a, a graphic button, you know, an inset of some sort. What I got instead was this full court press of graphic gibberish that covered the pages that really enhanced the experience in a way that no one had ever thought about or seen before. And that's Ken. So yes, the answer is yes. Ken and I will work together. Excellent, excellent. I think, I mean, in addition to John Workman, whose stuff I love, Ken's work was one of the first and only instances when I I experienced his, his mojo and thought, man, this guy is contributing as much right. or more to the book right. as the very illustrator right. and, I, and I, I mean the fact it, you, you're right exactly and i can i can pinpoint things the exact time it was with a first page of black kiss when the phone's ringing and all of the the text is just um well i don't have to tell you you did it um and and i thought holy crap like this is amazing these guys are working in tandem it's almost like sex and for that book it's very appropriate to say that but uh but but if you can't ken is a perfect example of the fact that many writers tend to regard uh letterers as as delivery systems for text right and that is more that 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 is incredibly reductive Mm -hmm. um the letterer in comics at its best and its most perfect sense should be part of, and this is where I get pretentious, so bear with me, the narrative graphic experience. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it has a lettering in comics should have a three-dimensional, rela- a, a, an implicitly three-dimensional relationship with the artwork. That it should be, it's, part, it's not simply, it exists in context with the imagery. It, I mean, that, that you can use lettering in comics 
to enhance and, and create deep space. And Ken does that all the time. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I can assume that you, like myself, uh, detest canned fonts. I have no idea what that is. What's that? Just computer type. Oh, I, don't, I don't give a shit. But my, and I mean, when I say that, I mean that because everything has its contextual place. Um, the there was a fiat laid out at DC Comics many years ago in the Vertigo line that we were no, that they were no, we were no longer allowed to use thought balloons in the context of material, which struck me at the time and continues to strike me as a dangerous precedent in that it takes a trope, which is, you know, intrinsic to the material and has been intrinsic to the material since word one, and just, just dismisses it as a, as a, as a non-realistic idea, that as if comic books themselves are realistic ideas. Right. And, and, and in writing Fargo, um, I, I, I literally spent a day working draft about whether or not to use that thought balloons, and I did not. I ended up not, because I realized that the way the story itself tells itself um, it was unnecessary because what, he, what he's doing doesn't have to be enhanced by text. Whereas in the in one of the two um, back matter, additional back matter pieces that I'm just we're about to deliver the final color on for the trade paperback of the of volume three of Hey Kids Comics, there's a sequence, a two panel sequence where thought balloons were the only way to convey what was being felt and seen contextually in the material. Um, and, and I, and, and my editor responded to this. He says, wow. You, and I said, well, I, it was the right thing to do because characters don't talk to them, talk to themselves. And I did not want to get to that, that, that pretentious caption as, uh, as, as internal narrative, internal monologue. That just always, always struck me as astonishingly pretentious and, and, and distancing from the actual graphic experience of comics. I like yeah. that. Without them, you're always looking for somebody for the character to be talking to, or something like you. All, you have to right, right. to figure out a, a way around it rather than just doing doing the most direct thing. Right. Well, Fargo. I mean, there there are a number of sequences in the book where Fargo acts alone. I mean, he's he's a loner. There's no Jimmy Olsen in this book. There's no Robin, and um, so basically, I had to do a the equivalent of what Harvey Kurtzman was doing. Um, at the War Books, which is a, a very methodical, journalistic approach to the material. There are a number of places in the book where I've applied the Kurtzman technique of, of, of this, 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 just the, the mechanical following through of, the, of action and behavior. You know, the, the loading of a gun, the cleaning of a weapon, the, the, um, the construction of a device, things like that. And, um, and the best way to do that is to neutralize the graphics and to do it diagrammatically you know i've always said that you know you can learn a great deal about doing comics from looking at pictographs from looking at the way there's a guy named richard saul Werman, who's a cartographer and designer um who, who wrote in the 1980s did a series of books called access which were an attempt to recreate and re re rethink the way tour guides look and I was fascinated with the way he used, he did these, these drawings that were exploded three-dimensional drawings of, of, of historic sites. And I've, that's, that, that's a really interesting thing. Wait, wait, you, how can I use this? That sort, that sort of thing. Um, so we, we, you go through passages of this sort of stuff. And, and frankly, it's Kurtzman's approach that is most effective. Um, I mean, one of the things we're going to be, I'm doing this 
uh, on the 19th of November, 18th of November, rather, I'm doing a thing with Mark Wade at uh, UCLA at Ackerman Hall. Uh, we're doing something we're calling Comic Book U, where Mark will handle the writing part and I will handle the, the real part, which is the, the, the turn, taking what the writer has <laughs> given and making it work. And one of the things I talk about there is the neutrality of, of size and shape. When you choose specifically, when, when you are very deliberate about the size of panels you use and the relationship of size to panel to panel to panel, you are telling your reader something that by not paying specific attention to the size you're doing, you might be contradicting, contradicting rather, what you're trying to tell them. You know, this, may, this, this, this is getting a bit arcane, but trust me on this is my day-to-day considered experience. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. There, there, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff to think about in there. Um, yeah. I, uh, for many, many years, you existed for me anyway, as a consumer of, of, of comic books, as just the, the guy that made that beautiful art. And there wasn't a whole lot of commentary of your words outside of the narratives, but I was going through old books in preparation for this and uh, I pulled out Cyberella, of all things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you were very vocal in the back pages of that book, which I mm-hmm. thought I thought was amazing. And then the one little snippet that, that I latched onto was when you addressed the reader and you're just like, basically said, I don't care if you don't like this. This is what we're doing. Because comic shops are filled with basically garbage. And this is what we want to do. We want to do it the way we want to do it. Why should we play it safe and do and produce work that is in tandem with all the other work that's out there? This book is going to be different. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, so what? This is what we want to make. And I thought that's such a, 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 a confident approach to the art that you rarely see in comics. You always get the same glad handing. Oh, hope you love this. We put a lot of energy into it. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But you basically said, this is what it is. Like it or not, we're making this book. And I love that out of you. I thought that was, a. I mean, I, I'm, you've endeared yourself to me through your art for decades, but that, yep. you won me over 100% with that. Well, I mean, I've, I've never had a really strong commercial footprint. You know, the most commercial book I've ever done was the Star Wars book. Which was which had more to, has more to do with the fact that it was the it's Dead Sea Scrolls the original it's the Old Testament of a secular religion and um, and the work I did on it wasn't very good so it's not the work is, the work I did there is not being judged by on the quality of my craft but rather on what it represents for a billion dollar secular church cran- franchise so the work that I've done professionally has always demanded more of the audience than most people uh, have done I, it's just I I'm not particularly interested in, in coddling, pandering, or patronizing. Yes. Um, I'm not that good at it. You know, I, I recognized the fact early on that I was never going to be a, a great superhero artist, that I didn't have a, um, the, the moral conviction that I, to put aside to do superhero books. And that I, I like genre material. And I, you know, I grew up reading science fiction and sword and planet and sword and sorcery stories. And I was wooed away from that material by Archie Goodwin, uh, who introduced me to everything from you know, Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, uh, Richard Stark, Donald Westlake, and and uh, and Greg Stout, and that stuff has always struck me as as the key to why I write and think the way I do. And I mean, I'm I read mainstream fiction, I read you know genre fiction, 
And I'm and I've often described myself as being too weird for the mainstream and too mainstream for the weird. Um, <laughs> you know, I, um, I you know right now you know there's a there's a major promotional push for Daniel Close's new book. And <laughs> I see it promoted, I said I'm reminded nostalgically of my one face to face meeting with Close, where I, I came away feeling completely insulted and, and disdained by and condescended to by him. Um, <laughs> and, like, God, you know. Jeez, like I'm, I'm sorry I'm alive, um, you know. But, that, but then, of course, I remember that I'm I'm pretty condescending, disdainful myself, you know. So, so you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I guess. You know, I, I sure. to, if I'm gonna dish it, if I'm gonna dish it out, I better I might as well learn to take it as well. That's something I always thought was interesting about your work, though, is that you've always been pretty vocal about uh, sort of like a disdain for the sort of like you know entry level superhero nonsense. But you also seem completely in love with, like, not entry level, but just, like, that for pulp or genre nonsense. I do. You know? I do. And, and well, I, mean, I know what you I mean, intake is sort of way more literary than that. What stops you from just going full literary? I'm not that good at it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my work is what I, I'm a cartoonist. I mean, the work that I do is, is a, 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 a synergy, a synthesis of words and pictures. It's, it's the pictures and the text that make it work. I'm not the best draftsman. I'm not the best writer. But together, the two things together make, make for an interesting package. My wife has been hocking me for years to write a novel with no real understanding of the actual effort, level of effort required. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm a comic book man. I love the idea of being a comic book man. I like getting up in the morning. Um, I sit down at my desk. I mean, right now I'm writing. So, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't done this tomorrow night. I'm doing a, uh, a live art thing. And, um, you know, that, that, that'll be the first drawing I've done about, in about, about a week. And I like the, the, the process of solving problems. That's really what it's about. I don't read comics anymore, but I certainly like making them. And the process of making them gives me the same kind of pleasure and joy that I want to derive from reading them. Um, on the base, a couple people have been posting a number of pieces from Harvey Kurtzman's Humbug. And on the basis of that, I realized it was time for me to revisit it. So I grabbed my, my, my slipcase set, brought it upstairs, and put it on my night table. And, um, you know, that, that's going to be something I'm going to be looking at for the next couple of nights, just to remind myself of what it was that, that made me care enough about this to make it my life's work. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm over 50 years in. I mean, I, my, my first credit under my own name, I was 21. And, um, and it sucked. That was terrible. But, but I, but I stuck with it, and I, you know, I, when I worked in television, you know, I, I gained an enormous respect for actors. You know, we, we, we give actors shit for their narcissism, for their, 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 their ridiculous self-regard. But the truth is, you know, they, they, they live such a life of constant rejection until and if they get, they get a job that, that changes their lives. And, and that, to a certain extent, you know, I, I started getting rejected from my work when I was 15. I justifiably so. The work was unusable. I mean, comically enough, when I went to work with Gil Kane, I described my samples to him as mediocre. He dismissed them. No, my boy, they're complete shit. Get over it. You know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that, 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 thank you. Thank you, old person. And, um, you know, so it was, but it was, it was a humbling experience. And working with Gil... I came to understand that he had had the same career trajectory as I had, but he'd started out shitty. He wasn't as shitty as I was, but you know, he was, he was terrible. I mean, Alex Toth always referred to Gil as, you know, he had three names and two noses. And, 
shelves so it's and i've i've been not as long as maybe vince has been but i've i've definitely uh i've been a fan for pretty much as long as i've I've been reading comics but this is it's i mean i'm i was really looking forward to tonight not not just to hear about the new project but i mean we, we 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 chatted the three me Vince, Jason, we 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 kind of came across one of your tables once at New York Comic Con. We chatted for a little bit, hoping to, to to get you on the podcast before. But I just I I know that my my all time favorite, if if I'm ever asked, you know, any anybody from the past that that that, that you could have dinner with, Gil Kane is he is the one one comic creator I wish I got to meet and 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 thank for all the all the enjoyment he's he's given me over the years. And and knowing that you worked with him or for him, however you want to phrase it, uh, it, so so there's the six degrees of separation here. But I mean, I I just just to hear about what the kind of person he was uh, beyond the page is is he was was making my night. Total pisser. He was just. I mean, you New York guys. Yep. Are you guys New York guys? I am. Okay. All right. Gil. Gil was like a complete and total aborigine. I mean, he was a, a savage, an only child, which is, which is really rare of his generation. Mm-hmm. He was you know, gangling it. Well, he reached his adult height at the age of 14. You know, uh, he was a real fucking mutant. And, <laughs> and he was completely insane. Uh, he had a nose like a toucan. He looked like an anti-Semitic movie poster. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was just, Horny, hungry, and on the make, and and he just he, he was he was motivated by the things that motivated me, which is to say, hunger and inchoate rage, and he got a nose job, and he went from being this sort of, you know, hungry grotesque figure, to he transformed himself into a Charles Saxon New Yorker cartoon. Mm-hmm. And he's the only man I ever know who wore an ascot without you know, in person. You know, I mean, like. Basil Rathbone, sure, fucking this Jew from Brooklyn, right? Right. <laughs> and um, and he and the minute he had got a nose job, people who didn't much like him beforehand got to hate him Ugh. because because so much of the 
the dynamic of the, the, the social dynamic of those guys of that generation, the guys who were born between 20 and 25. Okay. Um, was self-loathing and just complete and subtle abnegation to the fact that this was the, the dreariness of their experience was all they deserved. And Gil was on the make and felt that, that he, he was entitled to better. I mean, he was also really disappointed when I told him that my generation was not having sex at the drop of a hat, that it was just, I mean, perhaps the, that the courting process was somewhat was different, but there was still courting called for. He really he believed, like so many people do, in the media bullshit about every other generation but their own. Right. You know? And uh, I said, no, Gil, I mean, I'm not, I'm not falling in, in, into sex on a daily basis. I have to work at it just like everybody else does. And, um, and, and we all do too. And, and he was just, he was, he had these little, he was just filled with ticks and just odd things going on about it. But he was an incredibly entertaining dinner, dinner company. He ate like a child. He had no, no palate whatsoever. I mean, it's just, <laughs> wow. I'm serious. I mean, no bullshit. I, I mean, the things he would do to a piece of meat would just like, he turned into a shoe. It was just horrible. <laughs> he had to look away when he, I mean, I, I, when I put her a steak, it's Pittsburgh. Okay. It's like black on the outside, red on the inside. It's got to be running, running a little bit of blood, you know, that kind of stuff. And he would literally start gagging at my dinner. Um, he, he spent two weeks in Paris with Groth years and years ago. And he had rabbit, and he had omelets at every meal because he was afraid his, his host would trick him into eating rabbit. Oh, Jimmy! <laughs> you know, you know, so, so this perfect combination of of a presentation of sophistication with a with a barbarian wearing a mask of sophistication, and, and then many years later, you know, I, I used the Charles Saxon reference. Saxon did exactly the same thing. Saxon was another guy from the Bronx, I think, who transformed himself from this ghetto Jewish devil kid into this Connecticut Brahmin. Yeah. And and again, just just to take off the edge here, he was as guilty of everything he's been accused of as he. And, and, trust me, he was he was a liar, a cheat, and a thief, but incredibly entertaining and incredibly engaging. And I'm I'm assuming you've read some of the anecdotes I've told on Facebook. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the whole thing with with you know with when when Frank Jacoya died, you know, um, Jacoya dies, and everybody everybody loved Frank Jacoya. And um, he died suddenly, and Gil and I were having lunch, and he said that he was, was he felt it was time to, he, it struck him that, that as, it was a core to his own, own mortality, and he felt it was important to go out and make peace with those all the people he'd known all the years. So he, he went on his tour and did this. But a month and a half later, I was having lunch with him again, and we're sitting and talking. And I said, so how's the tour going? He was just rapturous. He said it was fantastic. And then in the middle of this, he cuts himself off and says, except for that fucking car mine, you know, fuck that guy. And it was perfect. It was just, it was just absolutely elegant and just, you know, as character-based as you could possibly find. And like so many of my mentors, Gil couldn't write worth a shit. It was unbelievable. Um, you know, he was an incredibly talented artist. His, the influence that he had on the, on the way comic book action is depicted Nobody, no one knows this, the lack of this cultural curiosity, the, the cultural amnesia that informs so much of the modern culture today. There's no idea the, of how much an impact he has, his work as the ground, the ground plane of action as depicted in comics. The whole concept of choreography and, 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 and that, that element of, of movement, that the, the introduction of the, of the, the implication of dance, you know, it's just, it, it, he's an enormous influence. He's totally un, unacknowledged and invisible. Mm. But again, I'm, I, I, I mean, I, he was my boss, and my my first influence, 
but I don't draw anything like him. I don't think about the way he like the way he the way he drew because I stepped away from that kind of hyperbole, and I don't do I don't do hyperbolic work. Right. Um, my my work is not informed by opera. Rather, it's informed. I mean, if anything, it's informed by Stephen Sondheim rather than than Rigoletto. Yeah, I like that. And like Sondheim, and like Sondheim, I'm not a popular figure. You know, I'm not. You know, Sondheim is. <laughs> Is well regarded, but he, but he doesn't he doesn't get the crowds in on Saturday night, you know. And he's dead. See, the, I'm I'm fascinated by the way you occasionally undersell your work. Uh, the power. I'm not underselling. Oh no no no! I'm not underselling my work at all. No no, you misunderstand. I'm I'm a narcissist from word one. I'm an arrogant motherfucker. Okay. I have an ego that's that's vast and huge, but I also have a very realistic view of, of how of, of my my my. What I regard as good, what I acknowledge as excellent, is rarely rarely fits into the the punch card of bullet points that the comic the average comic book enthusiast is seeking is seeking to be satisfied by. So there's no no underselling at all. I know how good I am. Believe all right, good, me. excellent. Let me massage that ego a little bit more while we're at go, I first encountered your work. The Iron Wolf stuff for DC back right. in Weird, Weird Worlds, right. and right. and I immediately noticed that i mean there's something special about this so whenever your name would pop up i would gobble up the work okay um the thing that completely blew my mind transformed my entire world i love it immensely to this day as much as i did when i first encountered it was the alfred bester stars my destination book that must have been a monumental experience for you that thing is littered with panels there are hundreds and hundreds of panels and paintings in that book how long did that thing take to produce it was it was 18 months and it broke me uh it left me financially destitute and ruined um because no one made any money working for byron price except for byron price of course yeah and, um and ultimately it wasn't until first comics made the offer to me on flag that I was able to begin to climb out of that financial hole. Wow. Um, you know, and I, I, so I just literally found three originals from it, you know, and I'm looking at this and I said, holy shit, what was I thinking? The level of effort and invested in this shit, it's just, to it's no avail. It's incredible. To no, to no avail whatsoever. That, I, all your graphic novel stuff too, like all of that stuff in that period, you were going that hard the whole time. Because mm-hmm. because I, I had I had delusions of grandeur, <laughs> <laughs> and and I singled you out early as a guy that not only had phenomenal illustration um, skills, but you also focused as heavily on the design sensibility as well as the illustration, and we didn't right. get a whole lot of that um, during that period. But um, for my money, this is real power when. I can experience a piece of art that sticks with me for decades. That whenever I hear the words Howard Chaikin put together, this is the the image that immediately pops into my head. Maybe you'll take this as a compliment, maybe you won't. It's in Black Kiss. Yeah. When she's holding Eric's severed dick and Bev yeah. says, you know, you're welcome to some of this. That panel <laughs> has burned itself into my brain. I cannot get away from it. And I love it. I have to thank you for that panel. 
There you go. You are a superhero. I'm about to leave into the sky to join George Reeves flying over Metropolis. You know, my work <laughs> yeah. here. You know, <laughs> I read some comic book nudity. Also, he was. Uh, they wouldn't sell me Black Kiss because I wasn't old enough. But they sold. <laughs> they sold me Power and Glory because it just looked like a superhero comic, and that was right. the first dick I ever saw in a comic book. I, I was so. Tr- <laughs> Truly, uh, the man draws a good dick, I will say. <laughs> and the role uh, too, you know. I just, I just, the idea of dra- drawing it. I mean, look, I've, I've, I've seen too many brisses. What can I tell you? you know? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But I, I think the the approach to black this is, kiss. This, this is- this is a conversational tangent I was not anticipating, but please. Well, uh, the decision to bag uh, Black Kiss, Vortex, to, to, to publish it in, in the, the plastic bags was brilliant. Brilliant. Well, that, that's Bill Marx. I mean, um, that, that, I mean, Marx, Marx put, I mean, Sathis and I um, were just blue, you know. Um, Marx cornered me, said, Lou, Lou, Lou and I want to talk to you, and I said, okay, so we did this. And, you know, Marx was always really good at marketing. He really was. Um, I haven't been in touch with him in years. And he's, you know, he's, a, he's an odd figure. But, um, but it was, an, you know, I, I was, it was the last vestige of my alcoholism and drug abuse. And it was the, it, it's the perfect testament to, you know, getting, getting rack cleaned up after that. I got sober about two years later. And um, I look back at that work now, and it's just the frenzy and hysteria. The paranoia that comes off those pages, yes, is enormous. You know, yes. I mean, I was clearly batshit. It, no, it, no, like no. it, it reads like the end of Goodfellas. Like as soon as the helicopter shows up, that's what Black is <laughs> like. Well, you know, I mean, I Tom, my, my editor just wrote the uh, the uh, the the modern version of the review of Black Kiss that 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 uh, that Morrison put put out, and after the first couple of issues were published. And because uh, I couldn't do it, he wrote and he cracked me up. And it's incredibly fierce and vicious. It's relentless. And we're going to run it as a, a superimposed part of the artwork in a page uh, in, in the in the trade paperback in one of the uh, the back matter things called "Everybody Hates Gitlin." And um, and I'm I'm really happy. I'm looking at that the, the basic artwork right now. It's sitting at my desk, and um, it, it's pretty harsh. But you know, I'm. Uh, I, have, I I'm made of stern stuff. Uh, on the other hand, I'm I'm no longer allowed to read anything about me on the internet, positive or negative, due, due to my wife. She has made it really clear that I'm not allowed to read any comments after any interview, except except when I, when I do interviews, when, when I do YouTube appearances um, with my, with people who regard me as quote their liberal friends. Um, the, the comments on Gra- on Grand Nolan's YouTube channel after I do it are just great. They're a pisser. <laughs> yeah. it, they, they boil down why are you having that liberal faggot on your show uh-huh wow I, yeah. yeah yeah it's great mm-hmm. to, uh, while i have you here i'm just going to ask you everything i always wanted to ask you uh did you get a lot of pushback from dc on the blackhawk series not really the the, the the two pick well I, a I got I got shit for the blowjob yeah well I was assuming yeah but I also Benet Brith wrote a, a scathing letter to Jeanette Kahn about the thing with the Jewish mobsters killing the two Jew uh, the, the, Jew, the two black soldiers and, and the, the hooker they hung ah right um, 
And uh, I wish to Christ I had my copy of it. I'd love, to, I'd love to, you know, enshrine that in some sort of memory book. That's something I'd like to post on Facebook. Uh, but they, their, their feelings were very hurt. I mean, I felt, you know, in in sort of the same way. I mean, again, I don't want to put myself in in, in the same place as Philip Roth, but when Philip Roth's short story at the New Yorker, uh, "Good for the Jews," took such heat, um, I felt pretty good, you know. Um, and uh, cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm deeply and profoundly ethnically Jewish with no particular commitment to the religion. And, um, which is not an unusual idea. You know, it's, it's, you know, secularity is as secularity does. And when the B'nai B'rits are going to find himself to be upset with me for this, um, I felt I had, I touched the nerve and it was a nerve I liked poking. Um, that had, that had more impact on me than the, than the blowjob bullshit. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful scene, but it, it's very logical. Like the army would give that job to. Oh well, yeah, yeah. No, no, they are more upset when when one of the black one of the, one of the Jewish mobs says to the other, "So the girl is she Jewish?" And I said, "No, so kill her." The BB were not were not happy. <laughs> they were like that. That's just a terrible thing. To, well, you know, unfortunately, that's the way it is. You know, um, I mean, come on. But um, you know, pe- people are, on, are more than, more often than not, you know, unwilling to own their own shit. And uh, I have a tendency to own my own shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Right, you talked about uh, the class you used to teach at Marvel, where you would take wayward professionals under your wing and, and straighten them out. Uh, and I've heard you talk before about uh, the idea of like hobbyists, people that work constantly, uh, who, who sort of don't know when to take, you know when the clock out, if you were speaking to one of those, like what's a, like a short list of things that someone could do to, to curb that behavior, to fix themselves. Accept the fact that the minute you start accepting money for the work you're doing, you are a cog in a corporation. If you're working for a corporate company that, um, you're not putting anything over on anyone but yourself by behaving like an unprofessional asshole that you are feeding into the the the, the fact that the, that the editors hold you in contempt and that writers who are smarter than you are are taking advantage of you because their experience is transient and you're stuck. Because the, because the way com- comics have become a market, a business right now of IP, and that writers can basically use comics as a means of, of creating a, a public presence, honing their craft, and moving on. Whereas comic book artists, for the most part, with very few exceptions, are trained to deliver trope-based material, which has nowhere else to go. I mean, frankly, you, you know, when, when people do comic book-style drawings for illustrations with the New York Times or anywhere else, they don't hire comic book people. They hire illustrators who, you, who used, to, used to want to be comic book artists but realized that it was a shitty job. So the best thing a comic book guy can do is to behave like a professional, accept certain realities of the life they live, and stop behaving like an amateur hobbyist. Makes sense. What if they own all the stuff. What if, like, what if the corporation is me, and I'm still just not? <laughs> the the veil's coming off. It's me, Howard. Look, look. I mean, I, 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 years and years ago, I said I told this story a couple of days ago. Years and years ago, I saw someone's rate card, and um, and the rate card was. I mean, I think Vivo was being funny, but it was not funny. Like this, this is what this is what you'll pay for it if it's going to be good. This is what you'll pay if it's going to be great, and that's just bullshit. 
you know, the job is to do the best work you can, no matter what you're doing it for and who you're doing it for, because it all represents you in the long run. You know, it's where it at. I mean, it's it's just it's it just is. You know, I mean, I I mean, I'm I'm working for free right now. I'm not billing for my work. Okay, um, I'm I'm delivering material because I, I have a very healthy pension from the Writers Guild because I I recognized at the age of 34 that I had no commercial footprint, that despite the fact that Flag was getting some nice attention and that, you know, Times Squared and all this other stuff, these things were, were getting very nice critical attention, but they overestimated the interest and the taste of the audience from word one. And that I was never going to have a, a safe and comfortable old age unless I found some other income stream. And that's why I moved to Southern California. I mean, October the 6th, I mean, I've lived in California more than half my life now. I moved here. The day before I turned 35 was October the 6th, 1985. And I intended to use the cachet that flag had generated for me to, to attempt to get into the movie business that I stumbled into television. And I'm really grateful because I spent 15 years there. And I generated the pension and real estate. And the fact is, every single move I've made, making money elsewhere, has been intended to ultimately make it possible for me to make comic books. In the 1970s, it was working as an, old, as an advertising artist, doing, doing comps and storyboards for TV advertising at Ben and Bowles, BBDNO, J. Walter Thompson, and Ogilvy Matter. Um, because the comics paid so shittily. Um, you know, the, the bubble that existed in the comics in the 90s was, I w- I was totally invisible to me because I was working in television. And the, it, it, that, that bubble is one of the reasons why the writer in comics is now the alpha because the comic book publishers will do everything they possibly can to diminish the value of the artist in the name of the writer because they don't want to, because the writers will never pull the same shit on them that the image guys did pull pulled on Marvel. That's really the big deal. I mean, image is of course not the same company. It was in the nineties. So image image is now a, you know, a, a, a very highly reputable company. I, they're my primary client. Well, uh, you were still, cranking out work in the 90s though were you doing like the bravura stuff and cyberella and stuff like that in between well i, I did write wrote stuff i wrote stuff and i, I and i i nearly I, I ruined my health when i did the the the, the power and glory book while i was working i was i was doing i, I for about six months i ran on four hours sleep because uh, i was right I, I was doing the power and glory book and i was working as on staff at a, at a television series i was number three on a tv series I was I was bad shit. My wife nearly left me. It was one of the reasons why she was really glad when I got fired from my last TV job. Um, I, I, I it was not it was it was noon in Toronto, nine nine a.m. in Pasadena. She was working at a at a, at a, at a, at a dermatologist's office. She's not around. I called her to tell her I got fired. The relief in her voice was palpable. She was just thrilled to me. Wow. Um, because tell you know it's. It's a, it's a different market now, but in those days, I mean, I was, it was an eight-hour work week, and I was just, it was making me into a completely unbearable human being. It was a ter- and I was working for people that would literally, <laughs> I was, I got fired on a Friday, and on a and on Saturday, I'm sitting at the in the, in the, the Air Canada Lounge at the at, at Pearson in Toronto, and I'm talking. I'm this is like 2002, January June of 2002, so I'm. I'm just 10 years sober at this point. And I'm talking to my sponsor, my AA sponsor, who says, I have to pray for the people who fired me. You know, one of those, those, those AA tropes kind of thing. And, and he recorded what I said. I, what I said was, I, uh, 
I pray that, that he gets ass cancer and a brain tumor and eats his way through English Jew body eats the shriveled fucking turd that he uses for a heart. And my sponsor, who's a very spiritual guy, said that will work for today. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I hold the grudge. <laughs> it's okay. I, see, see, Vince? But, Maybe it's a Jew thing. I don't know what to tell you. It could be. I, look, as I said for the once, I hold the grudge like a blood stain on silk. Yep. You know, I don't... I'm, 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 I, look, I mean, forgiveness is something that has to be earned. Thank you. You know, it is. Get you know, the, 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 the colleagues of mine who took it upon themselves to, 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 to throw calumny at, at me in 2017 over, over the uh, the divided states of hysteria book, they're fucking dead to me. You know, they they can rot and die and taste their own blood. <laughs> but I say I that with that. love. Seriously, God, I love you so much. Now, <laughs> to sleep four hours a night during that time to to do a book while you were doing a TV show was it just was it just seeing what was going on in comics or like was that a like no, it was it was a mistaken judgment it was it was it was a bad call and I and I but I take my I take a commitment seriously if I say if I say I'm going to do something I do it and I made the mistake of saying I would do something and I did it and I and unfortunately I, I thought I thought the TV job was going to end but it didn't. And the, the responsibilities grew. So I was I was getting up at, at 2 in the morning, working until 7, then going into my office and working until 8. Um, so it was like I was I was gone. I looked really good, though. I was really trim. <laughs> you know, I had a whole my body was in great shape. My, my great hair. I was, you know, I was adorable. Like I say, now an unmade bed. Actually, I'm now Ed, Ed Asner playing an unmade bed. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Excellent. I, I look like Hal Prince. I think I, I look. I was. I have a certain Hal Prince quality about me. A nice theatrical approach. Can I say? First stuff of yours that I remember. Well, not the first stuff that I saw personally, but like the earliest stuff of yours that I saw was the Enemy Ace stuff, and it looked. Oh, really? Wow, you must be really young. That was that was such shit. Oh, it was it that, looks that was so different from the other stuff. It looks. It already looks like you though. And well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's early on in your career, right? It's about the design elements, you know. Yes. You you obviously don't like it as much as I do, but I I really uh, <laughs> I, like I bought that thing obviously for the Cubert, but when I when I stumbled on like I was like, "Oh shit, early Chaykin in here too." It's it looks so cool to me. It looks so uh uh the energy that it has it, where it's like half dashed out but half like very considered. Um, well, I mean, I mean, I, the lesson I learned from that was when I hired on to do the, the, the Phantom Eagle stuff at Marble, um, I, I hired my, I had Don Cameron, who was the guy that I did Cyberella with, who, wrote, who, who was basically the creative force behind Cyberella. I was there just to just do script. Um, he literally built me all the airplanes that Garth called for in the script. So I had CG models, CGI models of all that stuff, just because drawing biplanes is a distinctly unrewarding experience. Sure. I mean, one of the things they're really grateful about in, in doing the, doing Hell, Hell on Wheels and the Fargo staff is that you know, although there's there there's there there are a number of the stories that have airplanes in them, this one is not included because it's just such a pain in the ass. Drawing drawing trains, you know, do, doing the trains is going to be a real treat. There's a, there's a lot of railroad stuff, and I love that they're drawing that 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 real turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century technology has an enormous appeal, and. Um, 
But if I have to draw a bike lane these days, I'm going to build that model first. You know, that's pretty early to have been building uh, CGI models. Like, were you were you out in front of the rest of the industry on that? I don't know. I haven't thought about. It. I don't think so. I think I think uh, a couple of guys have been doing that. But you know, I, like Don Cameron is a guy who convinced me. Don came on and worked with me on my first book I did after I got out of TV on Mighty Love. And um, he had that, that evangelical fervor of dealing with CGI because he just experienced a year's worth of training. And we fought about it a lot. And ultimately, I come to understand that he was right, that, you know, making use of this stuff, combining, doing a hybridized combination of hard copy, messy hard copy and clean digital, it's a really good way to go. It, it works really effectively for me. I mean, I, I stopped doing pages about 20 years ago. I now do my figures and my backgrounds on separate sheets and combine them in Photoshop. Um, and what, what, it, what it's done is it's, it's made a, it, it, it's, it creates, it's comics as a production experience. And to a profound extent, it goes directly to what you were talking about, about, about comics as, as a design job. Um, a couple months back, I'm going out of here now, as a matter of fact, uh, I got a call from Bill Sienkiewicz about coming out to Pasadena to hear a series of lectures that he was delivering. And uh, an, an artist named, uh, named Chris Payne, Skip Payne, Who's uh, an extraordinary painter and illustrator and and uh, caricaturist, and Payne, rather than talk directly about his own work at first, did a slideshow lecture about the application of design and illustration. That was a a real eye opener and a reminder of what it was about about American illustration from the you know from the, the beginning of the twentieth century till the end that most appealed to me about the work, which is the, the picture making. And when you look at you know, the mainstream magazine illustration in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, you realize that even the, the most mediocre guys, the B-level guys, all had their shit together in terms of making pictures. And that's really what it's about, you know. And it's one of the things I, take, I talk at great length about, and the other thing I'm, I'm doing with Mark in, 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 in UCLA, which is that where you place shapes and in, in, in images inside panels is where you find the endowment of narrative value. Um, that That... A picture is not something just a drawing that you put a, put four lines around. It isn't a picture until a picture has context. And so much of that context I've learned from movies, from television, and from looking at magazine illustration. And then the page itself is a, you know, the, the panels are are a microcosm of the page itself, and all that stuff has has to hang together in a in a way that that is graphically pleasant and graphically valuable. Okay. And I'm speaking using this like a like a course that I'm taking from you, and not an interview about your. That's <laughs> for you, Tony. But, That's well, why you're here. Yeah. Let me, uh, so say you're. You know what I mean? Uh, one, of, one of the like a couple months back, there was this whole comics broke me thing. Thanks to that 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 douchebag from England. Um, <laughs> and you know, the, this idea that when you re I mean, I, people have, have given me shit about this, but I'll stand by what I said. There's this there's this idea. Um, that has emerged over the past decade or so, uh, that everything is seen through the screen of entertainment, that I enjoyed this, I, enjoyed, I took pleasure in this. And they call it work for a reason. They don't call it fun, they call it work. And there seemed to be this, this, this comics broke me thing. The, the implication of it was that, that comics were a sort of a, as natural a function as, as reading comics, and breathing. And, and no, it's comics is a, is a discipline that has a vocabulary and a syllabus. And that there's a there's a reason why pictures are the shape they are, the size they are, why a page looks the way it does, and that 
it isn't something you can just get up in the morning on Saturday and say, I think I'm going to do a comic book today and be a professional by the end of the day. Um, and the, the insult to the work that I've done and the work that has been done by my colleagues and contemporaries and those who came before me in that assumption is ditch is re, is rich and deep and really kind of pisses me off. And I wrote a piece that pissed a lot of people off and, uh, and much like that piece in Cyberella, I really didn't give a shit, you know? Right. While we're on the subject of context, uh, one of the things I, uh, recognized about your work was you don't, um, you're not generic, especially in terms of fashion. Uh, your clothing looks tailored. They're not generic suits. They're, they, they look, they're very specific the, down to the shoes and the, and the hats and the period specific pieces. Your, right. your, your fashion sense is impeccable. Well, that, that's research. I mean, right. Exactly. The, the material deserves that much respect. Right. And, um, and, and you spill it over into the architecture. You don't do a stand in for, uh, you know, 1930s architecture. You actually do your due diligence, make the, do the research and right. represent a building as it would have looked in that period. But that's, well, look, I mean, that's, it, it goes right to the cover I, I did for Fargo, for example. Okay. It's the first time we see the character of Ellen Whitmore, who's the, the, the female lead of the book. And I made a very specific choice in not making her look like a 19th, like a 21st century woman running around in 19th century clothes. I fit her out in, in 19th century clothing, and she's got a 19th century, early 20th century face. Um, women look different. Men look different in those days. They, 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 they carried themselves differently. Um, and and that, that car- I mean, when you look at, at say, Frank Schoonover's illustrations for, John, for Princess of Mars, all right, um, you realize that when, Bur- when, when, when Burroughs described John Carter and Deja Torres, that as, as the, Deja is the most beautiful woman of two planets, that was a very different idea in 1912 than it is in 2023. And, and I have a... I, I really respond to period material where and when anachronism pops up, I, 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 I find myself being sucked out of it. That said, there are still... Period pieces. I mean, I, I, I point at a book called Gates of Fire, written by Stephen Pressfield, um, which is about the, uh, the the Spartans of Thermopylae, and it's written in a particular vernacular style and a modern language, and yet it never feels anachronistic. Um, whereas, you know, I mean, I just, I, I, I just, if I hear one more character in, in a drama use the word step foot. You know, um, right. it just—I mean, no. Listen, pay attention, read the. I mean, people did not call. You know, there's, there's a, language existed before. It's it's a it's a plastic idea. Things change, but it's worth trying to keep at least some sense of period together. I mean, right now, as I said, I'm in the process of doing my second dialogue pass uh, on Fargo, and Fargo. This, this story takes place in 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 1911, and um, it's. You know, it's it requires it requires attention because I'm trying not to lose the thread, but keep people interested. I mean, um, you know, people, people, when, when people were telling people to shoot arrows at someone, they didn't say fire. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just was loose. You know, um, so you know, it, it's I have my obsessions, and you and you seem to respond to some of them. 
Yes, it makes your work incredibly immersive, and yes. and and there's a, a veracity to it that uh, you don't find in the average garden variety like stuff. A, a lot of illustrators just just do the the bare minimum of of research, but you you dive in whole hog, and your your work benefits from it. It's just incredible. I, I, I love, love the process. I love right. I love I love all that that research is fun to do for me. Uh, I like going around digging. I like finding stuff. I don't make stuff up. You know, anecdotally with Gil, Gil couldn't work slow enough, slowly enough to incorporate good reference. Uh, um, he asked Don to teach him how to use photographic reference, and it was six months of frustration between the two of them um, because Gil was stuck writing and was drawing a generic city, generic automobiles, generic suits, and everything else in a very generic way. Um, you know, to the point where I, I, I lost my interest in what he was doing, these adaptations of, uh, of, of the Norse, the Norse mythology of, 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 the, of the Wagnerian stuff that it just felt completely phony baloney. Right. Talk to me a bit about, <laughs> love it. You're an excellent designer. You have like a an incredible taste. Here's what I run into. Issue one, I can design the shit out of a cover. Issue two and three, I'm pretty good. Four, five, six, seven. After this, I start to get, uh, I run out of inspiration. And I know part of it is sort of like pulling yourself out of it and looking at other things. Like, what do you, what do you have for that? Can you help, doctor, can you help me? Uh, it's a tough one. It really is. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you, you talk about ca about cover design. It's my tertiary skill set. I always have problems with covers. Um, I, I'm, I'm constantly brought up short by, by my, my, my limitations there. You know, I live in a, I live in a country in which, you know, Dave Johnson lives, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> Stop it, Dave. You know, it makes sense. He's got your, he's doing the variant for the book. So that, I mean, that, you know, I, but I don't know if that's if that's good or bad because I mean, you're, well, you're competing against some sort of kind of. Be humble, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, it's it's a, it's a tough one. It's it's a matter of 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 finding, getting granular and 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 and, and, and understanding the fact that they're all not going to be perfect. You know, we we are we are constantly surfeited with the idea. And we got to be the best we can possibly be, and that's fine. But there are times where, you know, a, a really good friend of mine has a huge assignment right now, and he's been he's working his way through that a huge assignment. And he started with an enormous crisis of doubt. And I said, "Look, a lot of them are going to be fucking brilliant, you know. A couple of them will be really, really good, and you're going to fuck up a couple of them. Just shut up and get to work." And that's really what it's about, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, I do the best I can with what I can work with. There are, I mean, I cannot compete with some people, with most people, on the terms that they play. But I'm pretty good competing with myself and my own. And, um, you know, I, it's, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I don't do extended narratives, why I do, I do short form, is that I don't put myself into the position of having to think about what, what, what the cover of issue 68 is going to be. Um, also, I like the idea of doing stories in which characters actually have, a, have a, a character arc of change. You know, comic books are based on a on a, on a, a narrative model that bears a direct resemblance to the Roadrunner Coyote cartoons. 
Because what you got is you got the Amobius dream of, of fake closure. There's no closure, really. It's a pursuit with no real capture. And in which character development and character change is personified whether or not Batman has a yellow circle around his bat symbol on his chest or not, whether Spider-Man's outfit is red and blue or black. And and I, I prefer to have, have do, do narratives in which the character at the end is different from the character we saw at the beginning, because that's how narr- that's how fiction is. You know, um, you know, Fargo is the perfect example of, of the character remains the same for 20, 20 books. Um, but in my in my stuff, if I'm writing my own stuff from beginning to end, that last issue, it, I mean, there, there could be sequel. Look, it took me it took me twenty years to come up with yes, yeah, close to twenty years, over twenty years to do a sequel to Black Kiss. And it wasn't until I read Sondheim's book of lyrics that I understood what it could be. It took me that long. Was there a desire to up the ante on the first book? Because I think Black Kiss Two outdoes in terms of debauchery and just plain explicitness, really goes way beyond the original series. Did you have a uh, a desire to to uh, outdo yourself, so to speak, on that second volume? Not really. I, I knew I was a better artist. I, 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 my, my drawing was better. But but I also felt that um, the narrative called for the level the level of degeneracy that I delivered. Um, I wanted. I, I mean, I wanted to do a, a, something that was consistently lubricious um, and was, you know. Would, would antagonize the very people who antagonized the first arc even more so. Excellent. Uh, because basically, you know, if, I, if I'm not pissing somebody off on a, day, on a daily basis, <laughs> I haven't really had my sunshine yet that day. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I... <laughs> the idea of... Having to satisfy, and I mean, there, there's. I, I posted an, a link to an essay by a guy named Justin E. H. Smith uh, from Harper's a couple of months ago. Smith is a, a really interesting figure. He's uh, he's in his probably in his fifties, I guess, late forties, early fifties, who is a a product of, of Sacramento redneckery, um, who you know come out of, comes out of death metal and heavy metal, and. And is now, of course, a teacher of, of English as a, as, a, as a second language and philosophy in, in Paris. So, <laughs> go figure. And in the course of this piece, he talks about, and he uses Robert Crumb as a as, as, as sort of a, a linchpin and, a, and a, a barometer of what he's talking about. He talks about the criticism that Crumb started getting about a decade ago for his work. And, and, and the, the, this, this side, this, you know, the I've come to understand that he, he refers to what that, that, that sort of reaction, and it's a generalized idea, and it's this brilliant microphrase. It's perfect. The phrase was uh, Philistine pseudo-criticism. And it's absolutely devastating to me to, to have someone nail that, like, like that, that's a cross of gold. And, you know, because we, we live in a culture in which the word uh, problematic is actually simply encoding for blasphemous. And the word controversial um, is... Is, is one is, is a is equally meaningless um, in, 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 in meaning profane, you know, and um, and I like profane and I like blasphemy. Um, I'm, I mean, one of the things I think is, you know, I'd love to go back in time to burn the people who burn the witches, you know, uh, and I and I recognize the fact that, you know, I've been, you know, you know, pummeled by people who feel that uh, 
I, I misrepresent, but you know, but I, I'm not representing anyone. I mean, I'm doing me, and um, I'm really proud of the work that I've done. And I recognize the fact that I'm working for a, 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 for an audience for, for for a business, which is perfectly happy to be flattered and patronized and, and pandered to, with with you know superheroes, you know super, super space dragon mutant mutant monster bullshit, and th- th- that that's the yardstick in which against which, I, which my work is measured. And that gets let's go right back to our first discussion. That can suck a bag of dicks. Excellent. <laughs> uh, anything you boys want to ask Mr. Chaikin before we wrap this up? When are you coming back? Possible question. <laughs> What's that? When are you coming back? Uh, I'm. I'm. A, you guys are fun to talk to. I'm. I'm. I'm game. Because I know uh, Jason, you, Jason would love to chat with you. So. And go and go Skype free is, is really a plus. You know? Well, we're on Skype. That's the crazy thing. You're the only one standing out here and on principle on a telephone. Everybody <laughs> else is just here on Skype. Just to I make. I can't be mad at her for that. Skype, Skype, and Skype is just another way of saying fuck. Who cares? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Bring bring me back on. But while I'm here, remember get out there and support this fucking book. Fargo, yes. hell on wheels. Go to Zoop. And support the book. If you're in Los Angeles, come out and see me and Mark Wade on the 18th of November at UCLA at Ackerman Hall. Take a look at the link; it's on Facebook. And um, and love, love me, love me, love me. It's all I ask. And I'm, not, I'm not willing to work required, but I'm willing to show up for it. Get that you know. Well, you'll get a whole lot of that here. Uh, thank you very all much, right. Mr. Chagan. Thanks, guys. This, this has been an absolute guest. I was not looking forward to it, but I leave here with my my spirit enlightened. And that's <laughs> fantastic. Oh, I'm quite serious. I, I would look. I trust me. I, those those who know me well enough know that I, I never say anything like that if I don't mean it with all my heart. And that's no bullshit. Well, thank, thank you so very much, sir. Thank you thank for you being for here. Thank you for the years. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Stay so, well. Appreciate it. You as well. Talk to me again. I'd love to come back. This is a gas. Absolutely. Right? Behave, gentlemen. It's been a treat. Thanks again. See you on campus. You well, man. What a guy. Uh, like, I always, whenever I run into him, I'm always intimidated because he's so much smarter than me and everyone I know. Uh, but then every time I speak to him, he's just so, uh, also, uh, warm and encouraging and inviting. You know, inviting seems like he's trying to fuck me, but, uh, <laughs> he's just always very warm and, and helpful. And and I always appreciate that about this. But I, I was, I'm I'm so thankful you guys hit me up about coming on. I'm so thankful Jason's off doing whatever he's up to. <laughs> I, I have to admit, uh, in the week leading up to this interview, I was uh, my anxiety was high. I was incredibly intimidated. You don't want to show your ass. Exactly. Act yeah. like you've been there, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I had to just put all that stuff on the, in the back seat and just pretend. Um, <laughs> notice I called him Mister Chaikin because I could. I don't think I could ever bring myself to just call him Howard. Uh, That's a respect thing. Sure. Yeah. And I told uh, you guys when we were in the in the Patreon uh, portion of this, but while we were speaking to him, Amazon dropped Black Kiss Volume Two off on my doorstep as if. The spirit of Howard Chaikin was in the air here in Van Nuys, California, and they just wanted me to make sure that I could carry the this this wonderful feeling that I have all the way till the end of the evening tonight. So this is nice. that's what I'm doing tonight. I start off talking to Chaikin. I'm going to go out reading Chaikin. Well, buckle up for huge 
penises. X, yeah. Yep. Uh, just just through a flip, they are you know much longer and more frightening than in the than the original. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> more bodily dismemberment. There's a whole bunch of extra in in Blackest too. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really he's upping the ante for real. Yeah, oh boy, I love them both so much, but I I love the first one more. Yeah, you never you forget your first time. Mm. Mine was so, like I said in the interview, they wouldn't sell them to me at at the comic shop where I worked. and so, But I basically, I, I think I was like 15, and I sort of was just like, look, nobody, because it wasn't like they were fresh coming out then. They were in the back issues. And I was like, listen, I love all the other stuff. Can you just put it aside? And then when I'm old enough, I'll buy it. You know, like, I just don't want to miss out on this. There was no internet at the time. I, I figured this these would be the last copies of this I would ever see. And so... Until I got the collected edition in 2000, all I had was, you know, when I got, I think they let me do it at like 17 or whatever. They they weren't waiting till I was actually 18, but they just, they weren't going to let a 15 year old walk out of there with Black Kiss. And uh, so I just had like three or four issues of it. And then sometimes I would run into them at other stores where they wouldn't, uh, where they were sort of less vigilant and didn't know me. And so I would I would able to, I'd be able to trick them like like as if I was buying porn at a gas station. Oh something. yeah, your little paste on mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I'd like to buy some uh, adult things. Uh, oh, what is that there? Uh, a ballot? Well, you know I'm of legal voting age, so I'll take one of those and uh, one of those black kisses too. And a pack of condoms because I use them quite frequently. Yes. Oh my! Extra large. Uh, that was a whole lot of fun. Yeah. It, it it saddens me a bit because I wish Jason was here. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, hey, uh, it was it was definitely the conversation. I, I mean, we had a fantastic weekend, of course, which which people will hear about shortly. But um, work the past two days, I've 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 been at work. I've just been nearly unbearable, and and I did not get to uh, really spend a lot of time preparing for tonight and and I know that Howard was here to to you know talk about the the Fargo book and and we we did but we were also able to talk about other things that we wanted to talk about but he once he came on and everything started it just all was right in the world I I just everything any problems, any issues, any 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 concerns I had all just melted away. It was it was just it was yeah. we had a blast. It was good stuff. It was. It sounds uh, like he's eager to come back. Like you could you guys can definitely have a you might replace me with Howard Jacob. That would be great. I I love him, but I would never replace you. <laughs> I would be so much more excited <laughs> about about firing up the show if it was just like yeah, sitting in the fourth <laughs> chair again. He's just here cracking on you guys all week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, why are you reading this shit? shit? Yeah, right? this stuff yeah, is garbage. <laughs> I... It's awful. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about some not awful comics. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, I have to be honest. I did not read that thing that you, you said to read, but oh, I would love to hear you two uh, talk about it. David, did you read it? I did. Uh, would you agree that Vince is going to feel foolish for not having read this? Uh, well, you, before you you start kicking <laughs> me in the in the calyons, um, I didn't read it only because I, time time constraints. Yeah. 
and you know trying to prepare make sure everything was tight and right for this episode and I had to do a lot of traveling today for work, so I just didn't get a chance to read it. All right, all right. so it wasn't a. And you did send it to us at like, you know, six thirty. So. Yesterday. No, you did. Oh, you sent it yesterday. Yeah, and I didn't send it in a text message because I know that's such a. So <laughs> yeah, don't fucking do that. I can't stand that because then it comes up on my phone. What am I going to do with that? It's no. Well, I mean, if you just got the right kind of fucking phone, like everybody else. Thank you. We just read it. No. No. <laughs> What's crazy is your... Ah, who cares? Anyway, David, what did you think of this? Did you love it like I loved it? I Yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but it was... It's... I mean, yeah, the whole Richard Scarry-looking feel of it is just... I, I don't... Uh, number I've, one, I hate to interrupt you, but you didn't even tell them the title yet. Oh, okay. Yes, what, Tony, go ahead. About, uh, from IDW Publishing, uh, a, a writer and artist named Patrick Horvath with letters by Hassan Atzmain El Howe, uh, Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees. It's in stores today. Uh, I read an early copy of this uh, probably a month or two ago because they wanted a pull quote, but I just read it again today when I picked up the actual physical issue, and uh, it's my favorite thing that I've read in, in months. I'm, I'm just delighted by it. Uh, and I have obviously a personal connection to things that look very cute but are very gory. Uh, uh-huh. So I, I'm pulling for it on that level, you know, already out of the gate. Even at the comic store, I was trying to pitch it to people who were checking out, and they're like, "That yeah, looks kind of cute." And I was like, "Don't you see? This is what I've been facing." Uh, but David, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> so, see, but with, but with stray dogs, you kind of really don't. I mean, yeah, the, the the movie poster covers the side. You don't really give a whole lot away just on the cover alone. This cover kind of sets you up for what to expect yes. in the issue. For sure. It's, it's very interesting. The book is, like like David said, it's drawn in sort of like a storybook sort of way. Uh, it's about a, a lady teddy bear named Samantha who owns a hardware store in an in a idyllic small town that's about to celebrate its bicentennial. Um, and we're sort of introduced to her and all her animal customers and friends uh, for the first probably like five or six pages of the book. We sort of set up this world, and we're also introduced to this uh, sort of like sad, uh, forgetful goat named Martin, who's uh, who's like uh, we can tell is sort of like I don't know if he has dementia. Or if he's just sort of like losing a step, but he's like a, a, a character around town that everybody sort of takes care of and keeps an eye on because they because they, they want him to be OK. You know, and he comes into the hardware store and he's like, and, you know, can you help me find my glasses? And they're like, oh, you know, Martin, they're on your face, man. <laughs> and uh, but everybody in town, there is sort of like a would you say there's a sense of foreboding? I guess because you've seen the cover when you're reading it, you're always you're already like, what's going to happen here? Um. But you meet all these characters. You meet this family of this. I think he's a possum who has a wife and kids. And you're just like, oh, I hope nothing happens to this guy. <laughs> Charlie. Yes. And Pauline and his kids. He's got these adorable little possum kids. Um, but halfway through the day, her work day, Samantha gets up and she leaves the hardware store and she leaves the possum, Charlie, in charge. And she drives to the city 
and she says, you know, uh, like I have to do this every once in a while, but I don't like to do it in town because I don't like to draw attention. But she basically goes to the city, and I'll, I'll skip the uh, the the preamble. Uh, she abducts and brutally murders uh, an adorable con man cartoon duck, uh, and dismembers him, and bleeds him out. And then takes the parts of his body and puts them inside paint cans and buries them in the woods. And then uh, leaves and goes back to the, the small town where she comes from, sort of refreshed, reset. You know, she feels okay now. She sort of like let all the tension of the <laughs> of her life out. You know, she had a release. And now she can sort of go back to being, uh, you know, like a normal part of this community. And she has dinner with friends. And she's just she just seems fine. Like everything's great. And there's a twist at the end that sort of sets up what the as if there could, you know, as if the twist in the middle was enough. But what's great about this book is you're reading it and you get because you're like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be about this vicious murder. But at the end of the book, somebody's been murdered in town and all this the stuff that she does to sort of like draw attention away from town so that she can get this release and sort of like do this murdering that she needs to do to live her life as a, as a you know, without flipping out. Now there's going to be a tension in her town. Now she says, wouldn't take much bad luck for an investigation to stumble onto the wrong killer and find out what this town's favorite brown bear has been up to for the past couple of decades. If someone were stupid enough to do that, we'd have a problem. A major fucking problem. <laughs> and the great thing is there's no cursing at all in the beginning part of the book. And it just, it's sort of like it, it lulls you into this thing because it looks so adorable and so, and not. It's the like, watercolor effect of the coloring is, is just... It, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, the artwork is, like, accomplished, too. Like, it looks like not just a children's book, but, like, a good children's book. Like, the kind that, that you would have read 50 times in, before you hit the third grade, you know? Um, and so it really lulls you into this this place. And, and like I said, there's no cursing. So when the violence starts, you're just like, whoa, man. Like, that was hardcore. And they should, you know... When we did our cute murder comic, we, we sort of strayed away from straight uh, from showing a whole ton of it. You like we used it only where it counted. This one they just put it right in your fucking face. There's like this is what she does. This is what it takes for her to be able to to to, to continue and live her life. Uh, and it's brutal. You know, it's just like woof. And because it, it's happening to another adorable cartoon character, it's just like. Somehow it hits even harder. Uh, if you like, I mean, David, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm no, quick. no, no. Go ahead. I mean, if you like serial killer stuff, and if you like, uh, <laughs> like you know, soft watercolor uh, Hallmark cards and children's books, like this, is, <laughs> this is one of those books that I think you could hand to anybody. You know, like what's cool about it feeling so out there is that it's only out there in terms of like what Howard was talking about, you know, just like normal, you know, rock'em sock'em superhero comics. This thing, if it was a, if it was, you know, in on Netflix or anything like that, you just be like, man, that is fucked up. I got to watch that. So I'm hoping it finds an audience because it's, uh, it's like, I love to see somebody take a swing like this. What's I, I, Reading through it twice to, for, the, for the second time before tonight, um, I just it it's so well thought out. It, it it's it's very similar to you know like an episode of Criminal Minds and and just trying to 
get inside what what an unsub is thinking. But you've got so 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 she goes to the city so she could find her next victim, and and you've got some Hasidic Jews just walking down the street. And and what's interesting is that when she's in the woods doing her her business, um, an actual yes grizzly bear just shows up and comes by and just walks through so this is a world where the animals are dressed and act as humans but there are also animals in this world and 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 i don't i, I don't expect that to get uh any, i don't i don't i don't expect too much delving in there but it's it is one of those little interesting things it's like you know so what of course it's the woods you'd have you know wildlife living there just happens to be that you know the wildlife is also um walking around wearing pants and collared shirts but it's it's just it is it's it's, uncomfortable moment too like it's just because it it does happen at at a moment in the story where just like where she's just murdered somebody she's just done this methodical sort of like disposing of this body and then this this other bear shows up and she says i appreciate it if we could keep this just between us And it's just the line is so so cutting and sharp, but also it's like it's giving you sort of like goofy Pluto, you know? Yes. Where you're yep. just uh, the, okay, so we're in a world like this. Hello, Baxter. Uh, but yeah, it's like that. This uh, what's the artist writer artist name Horvath? That they hadn't done anything before that I could find is crazy to me because it just. It really comes out of the gate so self-assured and, and like so smart and well-crafted. Very exciting. And I felt the same way when I read this as I felt when I read uh, Zoe's book, when I read the, the Center of the Earth. Where it's just like, here's a new person that knows exactly how to control this medium, and they're doing something that's completely their own thing. Yeah. Nice. You know, if this was ep- an episode of um, You Bet Your Life, the duck would drop down and the secret word for the day would be Jew. Because we've said it a bunch of times this episode. So the secret word for tonight is Jew. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I did look at the book and it looks phenomenal. I just, again, I did not not have time to read it, but uh, I think that the cover is a strong indication of what you're going to get with the dragon, the bloody bag uh, across the, the ground. It looks really cool. So uh, uninformed opinion, but uh, I, nonetheless, I, I I already envision Melissa McCarthy doing the voice of uh, of our heroine. I, it's it's uh, yeah, Samantha would definitely. Um, I, I I I can already hear, but yeah, I, I just and it's it's obviously a type of story where um, you know you're 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 being sucked in by seeing a day in this life of this shop owner and and uh and as she's saying hello to everybody in town and and, and all her friends and uh as as soon as you're leaving woodbrook your her expression changes in the car driving and um yeah. and then all of a sudden we see the type of creature she really is and and it's 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 like the Sopranos is something that's like, who am I, am I really supposed to root for this person? But obviously now something else is going on in town. And, uh, I mean, after, you know, reading 
reading Carl Starks, Kyle Stark's books all year and, and where monsters lie and things like that. It, it's, it's, uh, this isn't, nobody should be, uh, Nobody should be clutching their pearls over something like this, but it it, it was extremely well done. Uh, I, I I really like the look of it. I like the way the characters were. Um, I, I I like I like the setup. It was I, I felt it was a really really strong, really good first issue. Uh, and and thanks to you, I will have to uh, look for the second when that comes out in a few weeks. If it is a monthly book, I don't even know. But yeah, no, this is this yeah. is great, Tony. Thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, I, I'm very excited about it. I love the people that shatter convention. They they look at the lay of the land and they see what's selling, uh, or or they, they they perceive these artistic trends, and they just say, you know what, fuck that, I'm not doing that, I'm doing it my way, which again ties into the 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 Chaykin appearance. But that is extremely endearing to me. Where uh, I mean, look at the laundry list. You have Johnny Ryan with Prison Pit. Uh, all of the things that we talk about that are against the grain, uh, you know, outside the norm, those are the books that really keep my love for comics alive. Not just comics, but art in general. I, I, that applies to movies and, and, and music. And all, if, if you take a stab at doing something new, original, and different, uh, heedless to, to, you know, trends and, and, and popularity contests, that you've you've won me over immediately. And that's what this it's, book this book sounds like. That it's like a sure shot to get my attention as well because there's only so many different ways you can can slice the onion. Is that the, is that what the saying I'm looking it for? It sounds nice. Uh, of superheroes or of crime comics or of all these things that we've seen a million different ways. If you if you really want to make me uh, pay attention to something, if you can find a different way to comment something. This is that's how you that's how you get me to look at it, and I don't know if that's specific to me, who's you know been. Can you hear my dog just going crazy on that's this water? A, it fits. I mean, you're the straight. Yeah, he's, it's, yeah. Dave, he's been drinking this whole time. I've just been muting on and off. He's so thirsty. Oh, there he's done. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a way to to do something different, do something that's just that where you take something familiar and show it to me in a whole different light. Uh, you really have have my attention. I'll I will buy obviously all of these, and then whatever this person does next, I'll check that out too. It's one of those one of those things where you're just so excited that somebody's uh, you know has a has a take like this. Right. Unless we're talking novelty, then all that crumbles. Right. Uh, we I, we we forget what we love in the face of novelty because we love that first. And that yes. kind of yeah, and that kind of takes precedence uh, sometimes. But anyway, uh, any anyway, uh, David told yes, told you that you would be hearing Jason somewhere along the lines of this episode, and now you're going to, because here is our New York City Comic Con 2023 recap, and we're coming back. So after that's over, Tony's going to be dropping in again, and we'll do a little bit more talking. But for right now. Here we are, all three of us, talking about New York Comic Con 2023. It's a bittersweet day because it's Sunday and we are wrapping up the con. Yes, we are. And uh, I'm going to miss you guys. Oh, for sure. But times. we had a hell of a good, what, 72 plus hours for sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we had a great time. Capital G, great time. Mm-hmm. But it was atypical. 
Yes. Because um, da- David and I spent more time on the Artist Alley floor than we have in the past, like, three New York Comic Cons together, I think. I hardly recognize you guys. We were talking, right? We were yeah. having fun. Yeah. I think my ha- my wallet hardly recognizes me because Vince and I were saying this morning that we did not spend a lot of No, we did the ca- we did the calculations. We spent about $81. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, cash. Obviously, the lunches and whatnot, the, the, the bars, the, those were done at the... That's separate. At, at, right. But yeah, those, con, those are necessary expenses. Not yes. the drinks, okay. but I mean, food is a necessary expense. But, so, we bought the Wasted Space Omnibus, yep. which was $50. Then we got the Rick and Morty character guide hardcover, which was sixteen dollars. Yeah. And uh, what else? What I am I? The toy for five dollars. Oh yeah, so you have a little more. You spent a little more than I did. The statue, right? I bought the statue for Renee. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm going home eighty one bucks. And I bought the commission, which I I, I so I, I gave Dave cash for that. But yeah, it's so stupid. Oh well. And I think you hit the nail on the head that not only are do we have most of the stuff we want. Uh, we search to fill in holes yeah. or Which is uh, reclaim. Is I like that con. word, reclaim stuff that we let go before. And there wasn't a whole lot of that at the show. And and it's it's dwindling even more, like year after year. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's not, we, we, we said, we've been saying for a couple of years now, it's not a shopping show for us. But you the thing I, is, show floor heroes, you could drop $80 in like two minutes. Oh, as soon as you and then you Yeah. First easy. dude you see, here you go. So easy. Like, oh I my God. Like the last two heroes, though, you guys have been like, ah, the shopping's not what it used to be either. Again, because the first couple times we went, we went was it, was, Yeah, it was a, it was a, I mean, we should, all you can eat buffet. to us. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's, it's the con economics are such now that the traditional dealers that just have single issues that in bins, just, they've decided it's not economical for them. Right. Yeah. right. They got well, they, they to either have them packaged up in whole runs or they got to have them slabbed yeah. well the, the guys that issues the guys that used to sell the the remaindered hardcovers and trades they're not there either well i think that's again just the publishers are much smarter about right runs trim i mean how often do we get with the with the pr stuff we get a million emails and and pr notifications about oh it's going back to print and it's like because it's not because like it's selling a million copies it's because the 5,000 that they printed the first run got sold, so they're going back right, to print. Right, you right. Know? They're being much more frugal with yeah. their print runs. Back yeah. in the day, why not? Because overprinting is cheaper right. Right. than printing to specific numbers. Right. And it, it really doesn't make sense for a, a publisher that got 3,000 orders to print 3,000 books. That's ridiculous. You, right. you, you would print like four or 5,000 yep. to get a, a nice chunky discount. Mm-hmm. Depending on the publisher, it's different wherever they go. But yeah, it's. Um, I wasn't this, and I used to let it get me down. About you did last year, yeah, and the year before. I used, no, no, whenever no, we walked down to the con mm-hmm. floor, and there wasn't a lot of um, comic specific stuff. I used to be like, ah, oh, fuck this. What the fuck am I doing here? I'm like wasting my other than being with you sure. guys. Like, this is a drag. But no, I looked at it as, duh, this is an experience. I didn't even mind the crowds this year. Right. And they weren't as robust as... Our as, backs weren't breaking either because we weren't lugging around so much crap. No. It got a little hairy there with the... With the waste With the waste Yeah, because that's not a, a light it's book. a light book. Really. But strong like bull, right? Whatever. You weather it. It, it's and I know. Listen, it's New York. It's a tourist attraction. It's it's people are flying in for this convention, so the dealers are going to price it because they figure, fuck, we're going to make money. But as a comic fan, 
if you want me to buy your whole sets, <laughs> price them so I'll leave with them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. DC versus Marvel for fifty-five bucks. The, the, the Four goddamn issues. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, I, I always wonder. I mean, I think they're just trying to trap people, right? Like people that don't know any different. Exactly. Because, but the thing is, is who's going into your Comic Con to buy sets of issues that doesn't know any different? Right. Right. Just you, good they, point. I mean, shit, you can just bring up your phone and be like, well, then fuck it. I'll just order from like it's a Mile good point. High or something. Yeah, even Mile High with their, um, they lean into overpriced on most right. of the stuff. More like my comic shop, Lone Star. Yeah. Well, yeah. A little better. A little better. Well, yeah, I totally agree with that. I yeah, get I mean, stuff Mile from Lone Star all the time. I mean, I got to give, you know, for all the people that make fun of Chuck Rosansky at Mile High, like, he definitely has seen the industry, like, the right way all the yep. other years because he was the first guy to realize you could sell back issues for premiums if you had them available then now he was also the first guy like a decade ago to stop going to san diego stop going to new york because he's just like it just doesn't it's not worth anymore and then at the time people were like oh that's just crazy but then lo and behold i mean over over the passage of time he was the first now nobody go right like there's no well, you you remember christina it would discount comic book service yeah ramping up like cgs they had a big booth selling trades and hardcovers yeah. at the cgs super shows then she came to new york and that one year they brought like 10 um, workers with them. They had the massive racks. They had single issues. They had trade yeah. paperbacks. Where's DCBS now? She doesn't even come. If she's in New York, she's probably talking she's to publishers. The, yeah, the yeah. yeah, she's yeah, not I mean, even. Midtown used to have a humongous setup in the middle of the con floor. Yeah, um, which was you know, and literally you were it was a five minute walk to actual Midtown Comics if you want. And I think they just decided, well, listen. We'll just have a sale at our store, and if people really want to go buy back issues, they can show up. And the people stuff. that would actually go to the store are the people that really want the comics. Yeah. The mom and pops who the son sees an issue of Harley Quinn, is, you know, that's... Yeah. How much can that net them? Like, not much, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the most efficient show for all of us, like, in terms of time spent on the floor. Like, there wasn't a lot of, like, meandering around aimlessly, hoping to stumble on something... For me at Artist Alley, there wasn't a lot of like having to go back and hover over people, or have people say, "Oh, come Saturday," and then you go Saturday and like, "Oh, can you come back later today?" Like it was all pretty efficient. The creators were all very good with the timing. Like they, if they said that they'd be ready by 3 p.m., they were ready by 3 p.m., which is a pleasant surprise. Which is why we were able to sort of get in and out and spend a lot of time away from the con. Yeah, we um, made quality time with each other. This this trip was yeah. really good. Yeah, I, I still love the con. I still love the experience. I still love seeing people we don't get to see that often. Just because I may be down on what's available or what I get out of it, it's still worthwhile. You know, I, I think we've entered a, a, a phase of apathy with the the dealer floor. It right. it is what it is. We'll look around, yeah. but I I had no hopes going in that I was going to find anything. The vinyl that I found last year was a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Did not repeat that experience this no. year, but we so looked, what? But yeah, I mean, it's so what? Yeah. We're, we're just we're becoming. If I want that kind of stuff, I know where to go. Right. I mean, part of it for me too is that my kids are older now, so like even the right the, the Lego, the Lego stuff, yeah. which I always used to be a big highlight. I'd go and get a, just a grip full of Lego minifigures, any ones that I thought the kids didn't have yet, and they'd be so excited. But they're not into that anymore, so you know, and and it's just uh, yeah, it's it's just a different right. Like you said, it's a different phase. We have some, we have enough shit. You guys, were, as we were going to record this, you guys got. I, 
you got a peek at the comic room and Vince was like apoplectic over it. Like, yeah, and well, it's more the the uh, organization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, yeah. I mean, when I when I see a stack and it's not perfectly <laughs> vertical, I'm like, fuck no. Yeah, but it can't you be organized until I can empty well, it out. To we're on the booze on top of thin little trades. Yeah, yeah well. right. And they're they're jacked different directions. This one's going to Saigon. This one's going to Canada. Yeah, like, no, uh, uh-uh. yeah, yeah. no, I can't. Problem. I cannot have that. But whatever. Well, goal, it's not my come, stuff. When you come back next year, it's going to be pristine. We're going to be hanging there. Well, when we back the cars up right. to the side yes, of the house today. Right. Jason's wild pig sale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from from the perspective of someone who just wants to go to the con, isn't a diehard comic fan, I think the ticket price is worth it for them. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there are plenty of things. We don't... There's a, a huge um, chunk of the convention that we don't even get to experience. We don't go to panels. Which is panels. a huge part of the convention. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't do the autographs. The autographs. Right, we, we never have done... Well, we've done that once or twice. Yeah. In Chicago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, so we're looking at it from an insular perspective of we're comic fans. What can you offer right. us? And the answer is Artist Alley. Yes. Right, and I think Artist Alley's phenomenal this year. So, but to your point, but but like it is hard to spend four days in Artist Alley unless you're just you know an absolute art grinder. Right? Or if you want to have thorough, if it's right. possible to have thorough conversations with the people who make the books you love, you can right. spend four days in, in Artist Alley easy. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, it's tough. Like. To record there, though, right? like if we wanted to. Oh, it's very it. hard, just because of the noise and the yeah. And uh, we got to thank Zoe for introducing this episode. That's Ooh. like that was the number one get. Number one get. Was, Dave may that, not that agree, but I think that was the number one, yeah. <laughs> the number one ah, get yeah. of, well, of the for week. us for Dave. Yeah, but, yeah, not yeah, so much. It was reversed, but you no, know, it was. Uh, yeah, that, that that was great. That was that, that was one goal that we definitely checked off. Yeah. Yep, we got to meet Zoe Thorgood. She was very charming in person. Signs my page, and she was uh, very amicable. We were joking about the, for those that haven't read her book, I mean, we've all talked about it. I mean, she spends a big chunk of the book talking about the uh, anxiety that she feels at Comic-Cons and or conventions, and the, you know, fans are coming up to her and telling her how much they love her work and how she's, like, you know, completely freaked out about it all. And so it's kind of meta to go up to her and tell her how much we love her work. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, but she was laughing about it, and she seemed amicable about maybe coming on the show. So, you know, fingers crossed we can make that happen. Which yes. Yes. Who else did we get to chat with? And what I mean the usuals, right? We Steggy. <laughs> yes, we spoke with Ryan Stegman. And Kyle Starks. Kyle Starks was a, an awesome, a ball, an absolute ball of energy. Yeah. Like, Can't wait to speak to him. I wonder what his calorie away. count is per day. Because he yeah. is like amped, man. Touching yeah. himself. Woo, he's very, he must be Sicilian because he spoke with his hands a lot. Starks, <laughs> we'll ask him. Yeah. I don't think Starks is Italian. No, I don't think so either. No. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we caught up with Mahmoud as usual. Yep. Um, yeah. We, uh, of course, chatted up Mr. Ryan Brownie. Sanford. Sanford. Well, long we, time. So we, the, of course, the Felix dinner. Yeah, long time. Right. Sanford. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So yeah. so so just as far as the timeline goes, so Wednesday night, obviously, you folks heard that episode we recorded when Vince and I got here at Jason's. And Thursday well, you morning, you can hear you too. You could right. Hear you can hear two of the three. <laughs> yeah. Which For is the great. Second year in a row. Jason, For the second year in a row somehow. I don't Jason know. chiming in from the void, bang, so banging on the membrane between worlds. We're all literally sitting at the table together. It so makes no sense. But anyway. wait, wait, no, no, let's clarify. This is being recorded at Jason's house as well, but different room. A lower level. You cannot tell me that this does not sound better 
yeah. than the kitchen. So this well, is the solution. This is the solution. Yep. We have so now we've alleviated all that Plus bullshit. Hobbs barking at you. Oh, that, I know who we don't mind that. No. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so like you were saying, Wednesday. So you know, Wednesday, you guys knew what, what would happen. Then Thursday. What's crazy for me to me is that Thursday was the most painful drive to and from. Traffic was crazy going there, and then there was the construction. Yeah. On the way back, Friday mm-hmm. rained, and it was. No, Friday Friday was great for Friday traffic. Yesterday it rained and it was still smooth. Yeah. And then the rides home were good too. It was just, it was kind of a reverse. I expect it to be busy on the weekends. I expect it to be busy when it rains. But it was great. But we get to mm-hmm. the con and it was just Thursday morning. When did we get? We we, we split mm-hmm. up Thursday morning, right? Yeah. Um, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because Thursday was the one day we went. Well, no, Thursday well, at first we, we, we walked through the floor together. When we first got there. On the Thursday. main floor? Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. We took a little walk around. Right. There. Yeah. The main floor. Um, and what? I went down to Artist Alley. Right. I, I, I don't think um, specifics are, you don't, you know no, what I mean? No, like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to. I'm, what, what are, what are the things that, that really, for either side, memorable or disheartening that we experienced at New York Comic Con? I, if. If Reed sends out a survey, mm-hmm. I am going to request putting the podcast, the press lounge, back where it was, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to beg them to get rid of those self-service checkout kiosks when you leave, because uh, they only have two yeah. at the exit on the main See, that's concourse. a problem. Right. That's- and that's just, that's a bottleneck. That, right. That's ridiculous. I mean, they had a, they eventually had a couple people ready to scan for you, right. but that first night out, it was stupid. It was kind of stupid. It was. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to lead with a downer, but one of the disheartening things for me was um, Super Seven. Ah, oh, yeah. Now, see, I know, I know that is located at the con, so it has nothing, you know, other than being a presence at the con. It's not related to the read or anybody who puts the con on, but. Um, I've been down on Super 7 for a while for various reasons that I don't want to get into, but um, they did have something that I would have thrown money at them, mm-hmm. and I was willing to do so at the time. They had a creature from the Black Lagoon. And now, if you're of a certain age, you'll remember the Visible Man model, right? When it was it was clear plastic, and you could see the internal workings of the man, the rib cage, the, 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 the organs, and the bone structure, all that stuff. Well, the the creature from the Black Lagoon was akin to that, but there's a trend in figures now where you can remove parts of the external body and it will reveal the internal organs, right? Which is awesome. They had a creature from the Black Lagoon like that. Like, telegraph it right into my heart. Here's my money. And it was 85 bucks. So... I lined up and I wanted to buy it. I get to the register and I said, I would like a creature from the Black Lagoon. And they said, oh, you can't buy that here. It's only available online. So I was like, oh, okay. Knowing full well that I would have to pay postage, I popped it up online and the price for it online was $125 before postage. So you're offering something at a con for $85 that you don't even have at the convention, directing someone to go buy it elsewhere, and then it's more money? 
Like what? How, how do you retain customers doing shit like that? If, if you're a manufacturer or a publisher or, or a vendor, how do you not, just for the weekend, for a convention weekend, not offer it cheaper on your website? Obviously, people aren't at the con. They, good for you. You don't, you don't get the benefit. But who cares? It's, it's three or, days where you're just offering it at a cheaper price, and then come Monday morning, boom, back or to whatever. Or sell it at your booth. Yep. Have an attendant... Run out to get it. No, 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 not even that. Have an attendant take your order, confirming that you are at the convention. Okay. Free shipping. Yes, that's, that's what I was saying. That's it doesn't call, yeah. matter if I can't leave with it, but why, why am I being punished... Right. Why am I being punished to pay for shipping because exactly. you didn't bring it? Oh, and, and if if they said, okay, I got to the 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 register and they said, oh, you know what? It's one twenty five. It's not eighty five because you have to order online. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, if I didn't have to pay shipping, I would consider it. Hmm. But the fact that it's fifty or whatever dollar dollars more, I probably wouldn't buy. It. Right. Super Seven's crazy because, like you said, you guys told me because I wasn't with you at the time that. You were like, have you seen the new... Because for those that don't know, Super 7 is all about nostalgia. So they have figures of... And they've been doing these three and three quarter G.I. Joe figures. Which is still weird to me because Hasbro still makes three and three quarter G.I. Joe <laughs> yes. figures out of its own. It's, it's super weird, but whatever. Um, and you guys were like, did you see the, the, the Cobra flying base, the headquarters? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then we looked at it. We, I went and looked at I mean, it's incredible. Like, it is like, because it, it's it's the first thing I've seen that's like one of those toys that every kid wanted, like the flag, but didn't have, except it didn't exist when we were kids. This is a new thing. Yeah. But then we went and looked at it. It's $495, right? $495? Yep. Yeah. And $100 shipping. <laughs> I, I can, I, that thing mo at the most would be like 40 bucks to ship. How light do you think it is? Super light. It's okay. all. It's it's, it's hollow. Composite I, don't, I don't know about that because I don't know what kind of plastic they used on it. So I mean, it, it no could be light pounds though. Yeah. No, it can't be more than twenty pounds. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. But more power to them. They're obviously selling enough to keep doing this stuff, right? I mean, yeah. You know, so I, I I don't. It's just it's a long long story that no one cares about. But um, they came up being the indie real fan shit only company where. It's all about the fans, man. We uh, on the website, which no one knows about, on the, the message boards, you are chided for overpricing something. If if there's a piece of vinyl that you want to sell to members of this forum and you price it fifty dollars higher than it was when it came out, they will gang you and disgrace you, and you won't be able to sell things there anymore. Or next time you do, there will be a lot of eyes on your post. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all about keeping it real yeah. in quotes. And then they turn into this. Like, I don't understand it. The, I don't, well, you uh, understand it because it, I, I presume they've gotten exponentially more successful and wealthy. Oh, they're massive yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they they done fans dirty over the years. I won't get into that again. But I, I, I had much, much love for Super 7. Like, they were the thing. And then they just turned into a, a, a different thing that seemed mm -hmm. to part ways with the original credo. And now they're all about the... Fulfilling, you know, filling that that niche mm -hmm. of uh, nostalgia, and they're doing a good job at it. Like, yeah. who am I to say, whatever? I mean, this is anecdotal, but we did seem to hear as we were kind of parting ways on Saturday with everybody that uh, the vibe was sort of bifurcated. There was there was a, a a vibe from a lot of people that didn't make as much money as they'd hoped to, right? Uh, and then there were some that made a ton of money. And it <laughs> seemed like the people that made a ton of money were the creators who, you know, 
either pre-sold or are big enough that they can sell big pieces of published art or big commissions. You know? Right. I, I think Mahmoud needs to teach a master class. Yeah, well, no, like, Mahmoud, it, Mahmoud would be one. But, like, you know, Mahmoud, again, did probably 30 or so pre-booked commissions. And because he's an absolute pro, now he takes these lists and gets them done like he's supposed to before the show. So everybody always is willing to come back for more or spread the word. So someone like Mahmoud had a great weekend because he's almost, like, insulated from, like, he's going to have a great weekend no matter where he's at. But a lot of people that are relying more on, like, moving units of trades, selling posters, you know, pins, things like that, I heard did pretty poorly. And part of that is because, I mean, we'll see what the final numbers are when they put them out tomorrow, but it was well under normal attendance. And I think that uh, in terms of all that, like, the worst thing that could have happened for the creators is that Saturday was torrential downpours. And, I mean, there was way fewer people on Saturday than is normal. And normally on a Saturday, we try and avoid the con because the upstairs main floor is literally, you cannot walk. You I mean, it literally is, like, packed, and it takes you, you know, 50 minutes to get through an aisle. We were up there for a little bit. It was very easy to walk around. I mean, sure, it was crowded, but it wasn't hard to get around places. And then downstairs, Norris Alley is usually jam-packed as well to the point where you almost get, like, frenetic because you don't have enough room to sit and talk to an artist because there's people just pushing up against you. And it was pretty empty, man. Like, I mean, it was no more crowded on Saturday in Artist Alley than it was Thursday, which is very unusual. So what's the internal dialogue with, with someone who has a ticket for the convention on a very specific day, Saturday, let's say? Yeah. Do they look out the window and say, eh, it's raining, I don't think I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to eat that $60 or whatever it is and just knock it. So. That's I think weird. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're cosplayers, right? And they're like, just probably, I mean, they're probably very sad about it, but they're like, well, my costume's going to get ruined or I can't wear my costume or I'm not going to be able to lug it everything. I mean, I, yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's hard to imagine given that it's a once-a-year event and for a lot of people, it's like they're one, they do one day because that's all they can afford. It's hard to imagine why you would it would deter you, but it clearly did, right? Like, I mean... Like, I'm with you. It w- I wouldn't have thought it, that many people would have not come, but clearly many people didn't yeah. come. Oh, yeah. the proof is in the pudding. We right. saw it. The dealer's floor was much easier to navigate Saturday. Probably easier than Friday. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Had our dinner with Felix, which will, you know, if you want. It was a pretty low-key dinner, which is great. I mean, we actually had a great, like, probably the most low-key of the dinners, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, really, for the bulk of it, because of the logistics, these are usually, like, big, long tables of atten- you know, people. Um, for the... For the majority of this dinner, it was basically the three of us, Sanford Green and Felix, at the corner, just chopping it up, talking about life, you know. Yeah, it got deep for a long time. Yeah, We won't get into all that. I think we should mention that, um, just as a token of uh, Felix's generosity, when Felix got there, he was carting a a crate of books. Oh, right. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't have time. Because you you said Daniel was signing at Midtown, so probably just... Right, yeah, it came from there. Felix gave everyone in attendance a copy of the basketball variant cover that Daniel Warren Johnson did and the black and white version yeah. for free. Yeah, so thank you. He's yeah. like, hey, thanks for coming. Love you so much. Here, here, this is for you. And I looked at it and I was like, I had an inkling what they were going for online but again it's all it's not real money. It's yeah. potential money if you were the dickhead that would actually turn around a gift and sell it. Right. But whatever. And and what was it? One ninety nine a piece yesterday. Yeah. We saw them for like that. Those <laughs> That's were on, insane. Those were signed on eBay. Ours are signed. Ours are signed yeah. by DW. I mean, we could get that in a second yeah. if we wanted it. Yeah. But it doesn't. It's, it was just a very nice gesture. A very, extremely nice yeah. gesture. Yeah. yeah. Gobsmacked, right? Mm-hmm. It was great for for me getting to see some people we hadn't seen in a long time. Um, I hadn't seen Nick Patara probably in six or seven years, um, and I got to pick up a copy of Axe Wielder John, his new book. 
He's got some really great news uh, related to that and a sort of an ongoing line that he's got going on at Dark Horse soon, which is cool. Um, hadn't seen Jamal Idol in years. Um, it was nice to catch up with him, even though he's a local guy. It's like, you know, it's yep. weird how you don't run into people. Yeah. Um, got to meet Josh Kassara, who I've been online communicating with for years. He's obviously moved up the rank. He's one of Marvel's top artists these days, but uh, but uh, he was a super nice guy. He was finally able to uh, get get some of the takers for the... Uh, well, they were, they were already being... They were being taken, but... Some of the chances finally for the uh, headshot, the commission for the right, right. Rifle, what Dave is talking about is Kasara had um, he had a set of like high end pins, enamel pins that were, and if you bought the pins, it won you a chance for a grab bag that may have re- won you a, uh, a a original piece that he had pre drawn. So there are five of them, and I bought a set of pins, didn't win, but like they went the whole first day with no no winners. Oh, so buying the pins. And getting it was like a Willy Wonka thing, right? right? But yeah. if you got the golden ticket, it didn't guarantee you. No, it did. There were five golden tickets. So if you got a golden ticket, you got a. Yes. Oh, see, okay. I thought the way you phrased it was that it seemed like the five went into a. No, so and no. one one. No, no, no. Oh, there that was five, see, that's great. There were five pieces with, yeah. and I don't know how many. I think, were like, I think it's like sixty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty good odds, I guess. But yeah, the pins are really nice. Very nice, except for the storm. But hilarious. Yeah. Um, so that was super cool. Um, like I said, we met Zoe. Oh, we got to see what Steggy's working on next. We did. Yes. Woohoo! He says, so, yeah, "You're always on my mind, Ryan." You guys leave. I'm doing a show with Steggy. Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome for you? Mm-hmm. Yep. The 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 art highlight for me was that, um, and we've talked about this on the show. Sacrificers is the new Remender book. Yeah. Uh, the plan is for it to go for a long time if if the sales are warranted and. Max Fiumara is the artist and co-creator. Max is uh, generally, he's usually at New York Comic Con, <clears throat> excuse me, because he's rep by Mark Hay at Splash Page Art. And um, I was able to uh, procure the some pages from Sacrificers. And um, it was awesome because <clears throat> they hadn't even been um, like priced yet. So I got to look through the whole <clears throat> stack of art from issues one and two and get the pick of the litter, which was awesome. And I'm glad I did. And he was making funny, like, who cares about pick of the litter? But like, Within the next 24 hours, pretty much everybody we know in the art hustle like got pages from the No, book, so. no, I wasn't making fun of you because you got pick <clears> of the litter. That I was, I was glad for that fact. I was not making fun of you, but I was finding it very amusing that you were like, I got the first pages from Sacrifices, yeah. yo. That was cute. That was, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I th- this is the one instance that I think you undersold this whole thing. You got the first pages from Sacrifices. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Had a nice, if you are, are long-time listeners, you remember Dapp and I went to Baltimore Comic-Con maybe, what, like 12 years ago? That's been ages. Yeah. You just got your promotion, right? Pretty much, yeah. 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 So I remember waiting in line talking about it. But anyway, um, so so that's when we met Daniel Govar. Yes. And we got, that was what... Because I was reading his, uh, back then DC had uh, web comics. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I was reading his, it was an underwater kind of tale, and I really liked his style. Yeah. And I figured he would be good for one of your jam pieces. Yep. And he did a phenomenal Medusa. Right, and that was the first time we ever got art from Dan, and we've sub- subsequently gotten a many grip of art. Over, I, mean, I mean, I can't even count how many commissions and... What's that shirt going on? What? It's, it's a CM Punk shirt. Oh. It's a trans flag. Oh, but, okay. But the CM Punk... Logo. But right, with the yeah. CM Punk uh, logo. Wait to interrupt our, our story. I'm sorry, but it's yeah. just... Uh, no, What's this, that this, over there? What's this that? is real. This it is. is yeah. This is the realness. 
And so Govar, the first thing we I ever got from Govar was this Medusa drawing on my Inhumans jam piece. He started it. And um, and so fast forward 12 years later, uh, the, the jam piece has been done for many years, but I, as I want to do, I bring, these days I try and find a colorist at these cons to color a jam that's not fully colored. So I brought the Inhumans jam to the show to have Rochelle Rosenberg color. And she did, but I asked her to leave the Medusa uncolored and then I brought it to Dan, so all these many years later, it was like full circle, he then colored and painted, because he's a painter, for those who don't know, he painted the Medusa and finished the jam off. It was nice. It was like Sarah Gorgeous, Dick. Gorgeous, yes. It was, it was nice, yeah. like karmic. Yeah. Yeah. He did a wonderful job. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And he's living his best life. Oh, absolutely. He's living his best he, wife thanks to his yeah, wife. Yeah, his wife be doing all right. <laughs> he's doing all right. I'm down I, with that. That was one of the things I liked yes. about the show. I felt like most of the people we caught up with had like positive updates about their lives. Like... Like, yeah. you know, there weren't many where you were like, oh, sorry to hear that, or like, it'll get better soon. It was mostly like, hey, man, you know, like, maybe I had a couple, but like, things were on the upswing, you know, mm -hmm. or like, things are going great. It was very reaffirming to me. Yeah. Like, and, you know, that's, again, anecdotal. I'm sure there were plenty of people who were having downs, downshifts, but I just felt like when we had serious conversations with everybody, like the Wackers, right? Like, how happy oh, are the Wackers? I mean, how happy good. are they? Yes. They're, they're ebullient in all things in life. Like, life's great. Their kiddo's great. Their marriage is great. Like, they're, they're, the business is great. Like, that was just so great. Like, beaming, right? You know? Like you said, Kyle Starks beaming. He's saying he's having the, the best year of his life, which we think, because we keep saying Kyle Starks is one of the best, having one of the best writers, is one of the best writers of the year. And he seems to agree. Yes. You know? Mahmoud's doing great. I, I always catch up with the Essential Sequential crew, and, like, Sean Crystal's having one of his best years. Teo Scalera brought his family for the first time ever to the U.S. with him, which was great to see. Like, you know, um, another thing, it's like we're getting old because all these people, ourselves included, like not going out boozing it all night, like having a nice dinner, yeah. going home, like relaxing. Also, everyone's showing up to the con now on time. Like all the artists aren't like... Except for Frank. Well, okay. Well, yeah. That, but I'm saying like the... the, the I'm talking to like the, the, the people that are usually on the grind of these shows. You usually show up on a Saturday and half of the place would be empty until noon because people would be hungover. Yep. Everybody's like at these cons now taking their business seriously. It's great, man. I just feel All like we're, we're getting grown up and healthy and like living our best lives. Yes. Yeah, great. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Jason repped for Peloton hard on I wore uh, yeah, I'm wore, I wore my Peloton hoodie on Saturday to take care of that business. Let's do the the uh the lunch story. Yeah. With the, the good right one. Here. No, the, the Well, yeah, so well, well well we'll run through this. So we had we we made the commitment to try different places for lunch this year. Yeah, cuz we 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 thought Houndstooth was gone. Yeah, I was, and I was I was happy to just be like we could skip Houndstooth for a year. Houndstooth is back for the record, but I guess it's probably under new ownership, would you might guess. Possibly. Cuz yeah. it looked completely ramshackle last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but nevertheless, we decided uh there's there's this, there's for those that don't know New York, there's a awesome place just south of the Javits where the con is called Hudson Yards and it's um it was an urbanization project that took a decade, and it probably came, it probably opened maybe five, six years ago now, but it's um, really beautiful architecturally, a bunch of new buildings, and it's like high-end mall, mm -hmm. there's a super high-end mall, like ridiculously high-end mall, but new restaurants, you know, convention space, like it's just supposed to be an urbanization thing, and um, so we were like, let's roll over that way, instead of going back towards the midtown and uh, try and find places to eat. We found a place the first day, which is very good. The food was oh, very good. Was great, yeah. Food but, was phenomenal. But, you know, 20, and chips was massive. $29 glasses of wine, though, was a bit, you know, much. Yeah. Um, glasses. Yeah. Keep, in, keep, yeah. keep that number in mind for the next day's even, lunch. Even for me. Uh, but then we ended up at the mall there uh, the next day, and there was a little, uh, like a little, like, food court. Like a, like a you know, like a, you know, they, got, they, had a, they had an Italian joint, they had taco joint. Uh, a bar, like more of a buffet type of a thing. Mm -hmm. but, you know, like one of those, it's very common in cities, right, these kind of setups. But this one's like a little quasi-high-end, but it's still ultimately a food court. 
We had a great lunch the, that, that, that second day, right? Yep. And then uh, we liked it so much, we decided to go back yesterday for a leisurely lunch. Because they have plenty to choose from. It's not like we went right. for the same, same and thing. And we liked the food, and it wasn't expensive. Yes. Yeah. But yesterday was where things got really wacky, because we're there doing our thing. Fancy. We're there. We're, we're hanging out a little longer because yes, yeah. it is raining out. We're in road rush because it is Saturday. Right. Got a bottle of wine, so we were got just a chilling. Of wine, yeah. Right, we're uh, doing that, and then which hit hard. <laughs> oh yeah, and then we notice in this food court, like literally next to the buffet, like next to the buffet line, dude starts setting up drums. Yep, and we're like, what the hell? Gets the trap. I'll set him. Yeah, and he's there for a while by himself. So we were like, is dude gonna do like a drum solo? Like, then kid rolls in with a gigantic bass. Right. Next thing you know, saxophonist, right? Trumpet. Then dude comes keyboard. in with a keyboard, all happy as he wants to be, with the gloves on. Playing keyboard with gloves. With gloves. Yeah, got, kid, kid it wasn't was even play, cold kid in there. Was playing keyboard with black it gloves on. And did you see how he smiled? He was super. He was, he was very happy. Anyway, yeah. So we realized, like, obviously they were setting up a jazz quintet, and so we're like, all right, well, listen, again, it's raining. We don't have a lot to do at the con. Let's let it. Let's see what what what's this is about. And around three o'clock, they started playing jazz, and it was awesome. In the middle of this place, we're having lunch, and then as that's all happening, Vince, who you know was sitting, one week, is like, "Is that Ric Flair?" And Dap and I, of course, like being like, our first reaction was like, oh, "This isn't going to be Ric Flair." Like, <laughs> what does Vince know from Ric Flair? And we both look over, and damn, if the Nature Boy <laughs> wasn't at sitting bar, at the bar with, I presume, his, his wife, yeah, with his woman, and his bodyguard his having his bodyguard behind him. I mean, and, and we say having a cocktail. For all I know, he was drinking seltzer, but right. he was at the bar. Uh, hanging out and we were just like what a surreal experience where you're at a mall food court and a jazz quintet is playing while Ric Flair is having a drink next yes Apo- apology favorite? accepted <laughs> <laughs> yeah you recognize the nature boy well he's kind of hard not yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah, yeah, he does cut a profile that's yeah. hard to ignore yes. yeah. and I, I said dad why don't you go up to him and go woo <laughs> but it did they didn't I'm pretty sure homeboy would attack him oh I'm yeah sure he would have knocked you on your ass there, yeah right yeah, I mean, for as much as he lives off of that reputation, it's got to get tiresome to have people just coming yeah. up to you nonstop. Yeah, doing that, right. Even I'm sure. I mean, you know, he invited it himself with the way that's, but well, whatever. Yeah. So right. yeah, pretty surreal for sure. Um, got the pancakes. You guys got the pancakes. Got the pancakes last night. Um, great at the diner as usual. Got to spend some QT with my with my boys last night, which is nice yeah. and usual because we don't usually get to do that because we come home later. So uh, we it was out. just an overall wonderful experience. Yeah, sure. it was yeah. one of the best weekends ever. Yeah, I mean, a couple other minor regrets. Um, Rick Remender was there. I fully intended to stop over. In fact, I DM before the show, being like, "Hey, it'd be great to see you." And he's like, "Yeah, make sure you come by." And then, of course, because that's the way it is. Like, I didn't stop by Thursday or Friday, thinking I'll just go by Saturday. And then we went to stop by, and he was already gone for the day. And I don't know if you guys saw. He actually, because he announced he was going to have a big announcement. Did you see? It was a big announcement. Like, it was actually a legit... Like, you know how a lot of these big announcements were like, oh, whatever. It was a legitimately big announcement. There were the, the two new books announced. No. No, he signed a bunch of, of artists to exclusive contracts. No shit. Yeah. For Giant Generator, his imprint. Oh, but, nice. But he signed exclusive contracts for, like, uh, Daniel Acuna. Um, uh, there's a whole list. Bengal. Um, yeah, a bunch... Again, I, I don't have... The so he's taken the, the Deadly Class money and... Re- Inserting it into publishing adventures. Yes, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's really smart, right? Yeah. He'll probably but never. I mean, I, mean, I want to say but that, I was but that, about it, though, like, that kind I, of windfall. I, I can't think of another instance where a creator-owned imprint signed exclusive deals with. Artists. No, I can't remember. Oh, no. uh, no, uh, Paul Asasayda is on that list. Wow. 
Um, like even with with Kirkman, right? Like Skybound is now worth an absolute fortune. It's a juggernaut. It's a massive media company that Kirkman obviously is the main owner of, but he doesn't run anymore. I mean, he's got like executive team. But I don't even think. I mean, I can't think of. A I don't, think, he has I don't think they have exclusives. I mean, no. they work with you, like DWJ does this stuff. Right. But they're not exclusives. He pays them page rates and stuff, but they're yes. not exclusive. So this is. I, I don't. I mean, kind of our listeners might. I, I. But I can't think of a time when a creator. I mean, because this is under the image banner, but it's his imprint. It'd be like, like, um, so if he decided right. to leave image and go to dark. I guess maybe. Table. I mean, like, I don't know if. Uh, I guess it's possible. Like when Sylvester was doing, like maybe those guys were exclusive to him. For I don't know if that's the case. Oh, an homage and yeah. And, and the point down. is, I don't think we've seen this in a long time, and, and it's pretty neat. So it is. So why don't we strike while the iron's hot? Using the fact that you didn't catch up with him at New York Comic Con, send him a message and say, hey. Sorry, I didn't. We yeah. didn't meet up. Let's get you on the show. We really want to talk about this because this is like a first thing ever. Sure. Yeah. Are you doing it right now? No, no. Oh, I mean, I know he's efficient, but I didn't know if it, <laughs> he was that efficient. <laughs> I will let you finish, bro. Yeah. Done. So that was a minor regret. A few people we just didn't get just just because of the chaos of the comedy running into like Raj, Bill Z didn't get to see Bill Z. Didn't see Frankie. Dillinator. Oh, right. Dillinator was there? Yeah, yeah. he's always there. Didn't see him. Uh, we saw Daniel Warren Johnson, but we couldn't get anywhere close to him That's because true. of his line. Oh, right. No, I didn't even true. think about that. I didn't even think about that. That first day yeah. we saw him, he was busy, head down, working. You're right. I right. It hurts my heart. Dinner. Yeah. It hurts my heart. I guess we assumed he'd be at the dinner, but yeah. he wasn't at the dinner. Right. Well, yeah. he and Steggy kind of flaked on us. The, 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 well, but to be fair, Steggy wasn't planning on going dinner. Then he kind of like... I that's think not very, what he said. No, he very nicely said, oh, I'll go I'll go since you guys are going. Right. But, but, but that was a... That that was, was, the was it a platitude? Don't give me platitudes, man. He was platituding presence. us. Yes. Steggy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, but minor thing. I mean, again, I, I wish I wish I had seen those guys. But we did get to see a ton of people, you know. We got to spend one of the nights, Thursday night, with our with our friends from the No Apologies crew, um, which was great. So didn't get to see Gil because he couldn't make it last minute, but... Um, yeah, overall, I mean, very, really few, if any, complaints. And, yeah, it's and the, wonderful. the pros far outweigh the cons, uh, no pun intended. Got so. to see my aunt. So that oh, was yeah, I didn't visit. get to see yeah, I know you're downstairs. We, met, we, we met Vince's LCS. Uh, yeah, how about that? Yeah, Dave. That was right? fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you, were ta- the- you were talking to the Wactors, and Dave was just like, Oh. Yeah, the guy with, yeah, well, we'll, we'll get into it later. But no, it was, it was just a cool experience. And I, I, I apologize for not posting our holes the patreon site sucks so when i get home yeah but i'll post the photos we did take a few photos of the con floor and can we even call them halls why don't we just call them huh because it's really not that much it's a few the trinkets we brought home. yeah i mean it's something it's not the but booty that it used to be no we used to but, post like Every day, and yeah. it would be like picture, 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 and, picture. And that wouldn't have been a bad. I, that wouldn't have been bad. It's just it's frustrating using the, oh, Patreon, yeah, the website Patreon lately. And 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 we posted the, the the drive to and fro, but when I get home and get situated, yeah. and, and, the Patreon and idea of improvements. They must not know the meaning of the word. <laughs> I I did get a reply, and homeboy said we take everything what everybody says seriously. I'll kick it up. I can't guarantee anything's going to change, but we're going to hear you. And, and yeah, uh, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Now I will say, so I will say, I, now I don't know if you've, cause I haven't played around yet. I meant to, but uh, I had, I, as you know, I listened to that wrestling podcast, uh, Voices of Wrestling. Yep. And they're, they, I mean, they have a really big Patreon at this point. And uh, they were raving about the Patreon changes because they were talking about how they were able to very easily organize all of the different 
posts and episodes into buckets now, so there's like channels. I've so. seen that. Right, there's yeah, that. Big I've deal. Seen that. Um, no, I think that's a huge deal because I think for us, we. Can, I mean, I think if you could have a channel that's just all the books a month and a channel with just all the interviews and like people could literally just like without having. So that's replacing tags because you could click on yeah. a tag and see everything from book of yeah. the month. Slowly, whenever you search by tag. It takes forever. No, that's what I'm saying. So this new system, you have channels. And, and so, I mean, I, again, we have to go in and, and... Okay, so that's great for after you make the post. But in creating yeah. the in post... In making the post, that's where the problem is. The pain in the I hear you. Yeah, they split yeah, I hear you. The, the data fields into two screens, mm -hmm. which does not make sense at all. Because you can't copy and... Like, you, you can't... can't no, just, you have to input it by hand. That. I'm not doing it. So but whatever. So so that's why there wasn't a ton of Patreon content this weekend aside from the audio. We'll work around it. it, it as with whenever there's changes to a, a something you use on a daily basis, it takes a long time to accommodate. Yeah. Yeah. Those changes. But all the I'm sure we'll find the slack because we tend to update that a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Dan T. We spent a lot of time with Dan T. We did. Yeah. He gave yeah. us some awesome some awesome indie comics as well to that he wanted to share with us. Yeah, one of which you may be hearing about soon. Oh, nice. In so. the uh, eleven o'clock after dark episode, Ooh. because it's <laughs> this book is foul, man. Ooh. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, the way you were talking about it, definitely. It's is. foul. It's really bad. But it, it's you know it's one of those that's things that just the, lights uh, up my damn life. The MS Harkness, yeah, mini that that, that you didn't. Want. I it, it, it's cute. I'm yeah, sure. and just to be clear, we 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 did do uh, interday and end of day recaps each day on the Patreon feed. So like, yes. you know, if if you don't hear a shout out and we did talk to you or you. Or you're wondering who else we met up with. Uh, you know that we do cover it. I think a lot more comprehensively. Patrons there. received, I think, three hours, close to three hours. It was, it was not. Well, no. Oh. Yesterday was. Our, our was, dogs are coming in here. Yeah, this is cool. What's happening? Yesterday was a little. Um, yesterday's were shorter. But 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 each each drive back and forth was 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 a little over twenty minutes, close to a half hour. Yeah, days. so I'm get our at least two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, of just free content. Um, Describing or detailing our, our adventures from right, I don't the think, day. I, I don't think I've seen Monster since either Heroes or C2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monster was cool Monster. to see. He yeah, down. he's got yeah. a book. D.L. Nelson. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I sit over by Barnes and Noble. Right. Um, I, I remember as soon as I saw him, bam, yeah. was instant recognition. It's like, I know this dude. Nice dude. Yeah. We, he and I hadn't met either. He mentioned that, you know, I wasn't. I, I, I swear I know him from CGS days. Probably do. Yeah. There you go. So there you go. Uh, New York Comic Con 2023 in the books. Thank Thanks you for listening. Um, we will now bid adieu to Jason. And uh, Dap and I are going to pick it up from here. Uh, so keep listening. Honestly, and I, 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 I said it. And I said it to you guys even when we weren't recording. I, I, I've been telling people when they asked me since we've been back, how was the con? It was seriously one of my favorite New York Comic Con weekends. I, I it was just it, we saw people we needed to see, we wanted to see. We 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 just Saturday was enjoyable. Granted, you know, we took a nice long lunch, but the rain kept a lot of people away. So I we were able Tony, you were able to actually you could have spun around on the dealer floor on Saturday. There it wasn't that jam packed. It was it was insane to see it that way on a Saturday, but yeah, it was it was definitely one of those um, uh, remarkable experiences because it, it was different from uh, the the norm 
of New York Comic Con, which was very much appreciated. But just imagine how much better it would have been if this ass flap mm. got his got his butt. To, he to had the, a signing on Saturday. Oh, though. whatever. whatever. <laughs> That's right. I was a full fiction in Long Beach. Yes, you were. Uh, I saw the TikTok. I would love to be there uh, next year. Next year, I have a ton of new books. Like it would, it would make sense to be there. Um, we talked about this before. It's a it's a big expense to go do this thing. Although part of me just wants to do it, just like just go and hang out, like the way I do San Diego now. I don't set up. I don't have a table. I'll just go. I'll do signings or whatever and panels, and then and then hang out. So maybe maybe we just set that up and do that. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what yeah. I have a question. Uh, specific to local man. Yes. Wasn't issue six supposed to be the image homage cover issue? Yeah, it started this 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 month. It came out today. They're variants uh, though, not the right. right. No, yeah, and it isn't. Okay. How many different covers are there? There's well, there's four covers for issue six because it's also uh, Walking Dead twentieth anniversary month at Image. Jesus. So there's a Walking Dead cover, but there's also a Bloodstrike cover. Wow. I guess I just got the regular cover then. That's all he had left. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Unless he just orders poorly. Uh, huh. no. Dave is usually on the ball. Um, I would guess sales were good uh, because there was about six or seven left on the stands, but um, it was the cover that he had put in my my pull box. So One, uh, in the diner. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I think that there's some shops that just will just get the A cover. That's why when we did the gold, I did the A cover as the uh, the Deathmate cover because I was like, well, I want to make sure this is the one that that everybody gets. Thank you. <laughs> so, but yeah, a lot, like I, even my shop uh, House of Secrets I went to today, they, I think they only get the A cover. It's just easier for them. But some shops get all of them, and this and thanks to the Walking Dead one this month, we were up about 1,200 copies. That's good timing then, considering what you were saying about the uh, the gold. Yeah, and what <laughs> exactly. that did to you guys? Well, I mean, that's crazy that Walking Dead is still that big of a draw. Because when I when I I, I saw that Kirkman was going to do the color, the remastered, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, how? What is this going to sell? People have already read this, but <laughs> part of popular culture. You know? Yeah, like, I guess I was wrong. There, there's so many more people in the world than than not and now, in comics. And now it's got all those damn. The show's got all the spinoffs. Uh, one of which looks interesting to me. The Daryl Dixon one. Yeah. 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 Same. Um, that Walking Dead cover. Uh, I I heard that not all of them did particularly well, but ours sold well. Uh, of course, because it was a nice a nice little boost. And yeah, I think we went pretty hard on it. Like I think because it's like Tim drew the image, and then I did all the design to make it look like it's in, on a shelf with a bunch of other Walking Deads. Um, when you before. talk to Tim, sorry, yes. tell him that David and I were coming over to chat him up, but he, I don't know if he saw us, but when we were going over, <laughs> he got up and he you know, put his little jacket on. He was going to do something. Apparently he had something to go. And then we went back again and he wasn't there. So we had every intention to go over and, and talk to Tim at length. But every time we did so, he was either leaving or, or, or wasn't there. So just let him I'm know sure. that sure he appreciates you i'll let him know that you that you meant to say hello yes i mean jason did chat with him for a little bit while we were upstairs but yeah still yeah still it would have been nice yeah and and since we're still on the con i really i i'm, I'm pushing for tf squared 
where 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 Tony and 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 Tana get a table together and and set up shop. Let's get TF cubed. Let's get Trish there. Cool. Okay, yeah. TF. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you save money on signage. Yes. New Good. imprint right here. Yeah. TF Comics. Love Maybe it. we can get Tom Fowler in on it too. There it is. Boom. <laughs> One of these so, things. So, like, so, I feel so like Tom Square Fowler. Cube. Now, what is it? For our shenanigans. Oh, man. Well, you need, uh, always need a straight man. An acerbic straight man. And I think Tana's doing a cat comic right now, too. This really could be something. I think you're you're you're, put, you're putting something. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, and and before I do forget, because uh, I'm sure we will as we we'll, we'll, once we wrap up tonight next week. Next, because uh, it's the last Wednesday of the month, it will we will be talking Clementine Book Two by mm-hmm. Tilly Walden. Yes, Tony, if you've read it, you're welcome to join us. You know, I might. I haven't. I have the first one. I haven't read it yet. But I, you know, I love it. Too. I, you know, I'm. I'm like. Uh, I rush to read a Tilly Walden when it's just her. I. I think the Walking Dead of it. I'm just like, I'll get to it. You know, I own it. Yeah. Um, I, I think I it's pretty safe okay, to say that it's the best Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah. I. I mean, you can go back and listen to us talk about the first book. We all enjoyed it. A lot. I and and you know, listen to maybe it's recency bias, but um, I I could not put this second book down. I I, I started it in the morning and I was done with it um, by by early evening that 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 same day. I I mean, we had to leave the house for a bit, and then I came back and I just picked it up again. But I. I think I like it a little bit. I mean, I could revisit the first one just to touch on some things, but I, I, I think I like the second book a little more. Nice. And you can probably get both of them at, at CheapGraphicNovels.com. Bet you can. Yep. CheapGraphicNovels.com. Omnibus editions, trade paperbacks, manga, all that stuff at a fraction of the cover price. Remember, buy something, a couple of things. You'll get an email uh saying thank you for ordering you're going to reply to that email and say hey you know what never would have done that if it wasn't for 11 o'clock comics so thanks and then max will send you free shipping on your next order it's a wonderful deal also check out our patreon page patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics audio video downloads vintage fanzines uh pages a day uh covers it's just fun and uh the community that sprung up out of it is is really cool because we gather each and every day on the dedicated slack channel and talk about everything sometimes like howard it's a little on the nasty side like today but anyway it happens you need to vent once in a while and these are the people to which i love to vent because they're brothers and sisters they're family so patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics in your travels I read nothing but Chaken going into this episode. <laughs> no, I just didn't want to. I wanted to remember what I had, I, I, blame you me. know, forgotten. And I, I read Blackhawk, the Blood and Iron uh, prestige series that he did. I believe mm-hmm. it was, was it 88? Uh, yes, it was exactly 1988. And uh, he does not suffer fools in life and does suffers them even less on the page because um, 
he's a worldly man, and and it it shows in in his work, because um, I have to admit, uh, my initial reading all those years ago was not fruitful. I didn't uh, absorb much of the, the the crucial details of the story. Now, reading it at 58 years old, I think it's amazing. Um, yes, there is a blowjob in it, but it's semi-off-panel, so it's not Black Kiss, but there's a lot of violence, a lot of profanity, um, name-calling, uh, ethnicity that is um, uh, pointed in some cases and exaggerated in others, but that's that's Howard, right? Uh, I love it. And um, it's up there with The Shadow and um, Black Kiss and Stars My Destination is my favorite. Chaykin works. Like, how about that? How can you say that? That you look at a, a person's body of work, like Howard Chaykin, and, and you try and pick out your favorite things. And there's so much. I didn't even mention American Flag. There's so mm-hmm. much. F- right. Uh, that um, I just think he's a maestro, and and I was extremely honored to have the chance to talk to him. Hopefully, it'll, it'll happen again. But yeah, I go out and read some Howard Chaykin because he's amazing, and I'm not even touching upon his like Hey Kids comics is great. It it again, it's it's um, downbeat because a lot of those artists uh, were were victimized and exploited by the publisher. But um, it is it it's real. There there's a, a veracity to it. That can only come from someone who actually lived it. So yeah, get out there and read some Howard Chaykin. And and if you've never read him before, oh boy, are you in for a treat? You're on a long, wonderful journey. Yes. Oh boy, you are not lying. Yep. Uh, in your travels, since uh, Vince did not doesn't sound it doesn't sound like Vince read this yet, um, and um, a little bummed. That we're only getting one more issue after this one. But in your travels, um, continue reading Children of the Vault by uh, Dennis Camp and Luca Maresca and Carlos Lopez on colors. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's it's the Cable and Bishop show in, in, in full effect. They have some great banter back and forth that uh, it wasn't absent in the previous two issues, but it, it's, it's a little bit more front and center here. Um, there's a really nice letter that cable writes to someone that he cares for. Aww. Uh, and, me? um, did you write? Yes, me? of oh, course. Nice. Uh, summer is cool. <laughs> there's uh yeah, I mean, the shit's going down in, in this issue really, but it's, um, it was, it was really start to finish uh, between the covers was just nothing but but nonstop. I uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I um, dude, it just came out today. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I I bought it, but I didn't I didn't have a chance to read it. What, what did you? You have a chance to read anything yet? I know, but did you read it like in the cars you were driving? Like, how did you read it so quickly? My um. My wife is going in for, she's taking an exam, a promotional exam on Saturday. So she spent some time this evening doing some studying, and that gave me an opportunity to read some book. Wow. She should take an exam every week. Hey, now. Hey. 
this was uh, no, th- 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 this was a blast. I, you know, thanks to Vince for giving me the nudge to to read the first issue a couple months back. Um, but uh, yeah, four issues apparently. It's been it's been a blast. Really looking forward to seeing where it uh, where we end up with the next issue. But yeah, in your travels, Children of the Vault. Yeah, it's good stuff. In your travels, I'm going to shine a light on. I feel like this is sort of my my responsibility. We talked about beneath the trees where nobody sees, and here's another uh, sort of like blink and you might miss it uh, horror comic that is also adorably cartoony, which is. It's a cause that I that I stand for now. Uh, it's called Dwellings. It's from Oni Press. It's by Jay Stevens. Have you guys talked about this already? Do you know about it? A couple times. Oh well, shit. Yeah, I've, I've got well um, only because our boy and your boy uh, Ray ordered. Um, he did the uh, not. It's, it's not. I don't think it's Zoop. What's the other one? Did, did not Kickstarter either. But I know Jay was was crowdfunding these. Um, oh. So that's how Ray was getting them. No, no, it wasn't Indiegogo. But so, and I know that uh, Oni is yeah. is um, publishing them, the three issues. So it's I'm getting that the first issue should be if I don't have it already, it should be in the next box. But yes, I'm I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Finally, I think Jason may have talked about it, but yes, it's yes. Second I want to hear more. Came out today in store. Okay, um, and I have it is. It is very thick, so I did not have a chance to read it in between getting home from the shop and, and jumping on here with you guys and setting up my new hardware. So, uh, but uh, I'm about halfway through the first one, and it is just a straight-up horror comic that looks like a Harvey comic, basically. Yep. Is that how you describe it? Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's very charming. Uh, it's it, it told very confidently in the same way that... Uh, um, Beneath the trees where nobody sees is confident, and just like they're not, they're not dressing it up like it's a like it's a kids comic necessarily. They're just saying like, here's the content, here's what it looks like, and I assume at some point those two things will sort of like come come into harsher contrast with one another. Right now, it's obviously you get a pretty harsh contrast whenever you know like a Richie Rich looking kid gets murdered. Um, so there is that, but I, I assume that sort of like when when we finish it taken as a whole, it'll sort of all fit together. It already sort of does just the way that they're able to break it into chapters. And um, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about it yet, but it is just a very confident, assured read um, by a creator that knows what they're doing. And just like the drawings are just really beautiful as well. You know, like it's like um, this, this is a, a great use of this sort of skill, you know, like, where as, as somebody who draws cartoony, I'm always tr- trying to figure out, like, all right, what could I do with that? You know, like, what could I do that hasn't already been done that I haven't done? You know, I've done, you know, 50 issues of drawing, you know, pony comics or I've done, you know, like the kids version of a Star Wars comic or whatever. Um, what could I do with this that that's something different? And this uh, Jay Stevens found something different. And so I'm excited to to follow along and see where they end up with this. Yes. One of the, um, let's call it a secondary notion about Dwellings, is that um, the fallout from Harvey Comics is still being felt today. Like, back in the day, we would always dismiss Harvey as being the the kind of comics you threw into a trade to 
maybe sweeten the deal or just plain get rid of. But aesthetically, uh, there, there's been a ripple of of the Harvey approach to to uh, comics that is st- still being felt today, and it's I, I just find it incredible that the stuff we initially dismissed as you know kid trash is is beloved by so many people. Like look at Jay Stevens, how many decades removed from Harvey is he? I'm assuming he's he's younger. Jay's probably in his he's late forties. Yeah, so so he probably caught the tail end. Of Harvey, 52. what is he? Fifty-two. Oh, so he was—he was probably in on Harvey, but I mean, we see a lot of guys doing uh, Harvey pastiches. Um, but uh, yeah, I, a lot of times I'll just take a step back and look at my my opinions of stuff now as compared to back in the day, and a lot of them have been transformed with age and experience. Harvey was great stuff. It was hot stuff, uh, pun intended. And uh, I just it just warms my heart that there are people still um, carrying that that visual torch these days, and uh, it's 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 wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited about this thing. I don't know how long it's going to run, but I, I do like that the for for a ten dollar issue, it's a big you know, yeah, it is. It's it's meal of a comic. But another thing though, that why hasn't Harvey? Uh, publications been collected in mass, like in in omnibus editions. Dark Horse yeah. did some collections, but those things are out of print and ridiculously expensive. I, ha- I have almost all of them, and uh, tracking down that one, it, it, it usually goes for prices that I don't want to pay. But like, why isn't someone again picking up that baton and running with it? Like, we need Harvey Comics reprints. Who's the guy at IDW that that that, that does the American Library of Comics? That seems like a job for him. Yeah, yeah, that would or, be nice. Or Clover, Clover Press. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just silly that this stuff should be available. Agreed. Right, right. Hey, everybody. You got this. Yeah, murder yeah. is wonderful. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening to this. Once again, thanks to the amazing Howard Jakin for joining us. Uh, hopefully won't be the first and last time. And uh, you know the drill. Get yourself out to a comic shop, buy some stuff, talk about it online, especially with us. Then listen to our next episode because we'll probably be talking about it. In the meantime, say goodnight. Ooh. The witch drums. It's a little fast, a little fast for witch drums. And yeah, he lost it at the end. David. Enthusiastic. David, do you and Renee watch uh, when the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer drums on things on TikTok? That's one of my favorites. This guy is out there drumming. No. Good old Chad. Chad's, Chad's awesome. I don't think no, David could talk about the Red David. Hot Chili Peppers because then Ray will get all like his panties in a bunch, which I he doesn't. I, do, I don't get it. The, 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 the Chili Peppers are a universal good. They're, they're like they're the Krabby Patty of music. Mm. No, that, I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I did say it by the way. I don't know. Ah, I heard you. Yeah, I heard you. Okay. Like always. Once once Chad gets into your TikTok algorithm, there's no getting him out. He's the first. He was just drumming on like thirty seconds to Mars, and now he's just drumming on everything. He shows up all the time to drum on songs. Yeah, it's a good thing to be stricken yeah. with a, a a bad case of the Chads. Yeah, yeah, the Chads every which way. I can't. I can't. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, tell them you love them. Well, we love you. Jason loves you too. I've been I've been happy to hear that how much he loves you lately. I know at first he was he thought it was a little bit sus, but now he's. <laughs> Well, if you've noticed, it's in direct proportion to how much he's enjoying comics. When he's not enjoying comics, he hates friggin' everybody. And I guess when you know when he sort of found equilibrium with how fucked the economy is, he can sort of focus a little bit more on how much he loves you so much. That's it for that one. <laughs>